previously on the Project Umbrella podcast. Nick, you're ready to go on this in like a full cannon way. Let, let's go. Female Doctor, Lady Hunk. Jesus Christ, whatever next. <laughs> it wouldn't be Resident Evil if it didn't have massive explosions, a massive mutated creature at the end, and scantily clad women. There seems to be a disproportionate amount of women getting their arms blown off in this movie. The only traffic there is, Leon manages to dispatch them quite well. And there's Nick oh, trying to sell the fucking £100 <laughs> DVD version of the original on eBay. How did that sell for you, Nick? Uh, that did not sell. <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise. Welcome to episode 42 of the Project Umbrella podcast, the official wheelchair supply to the Baker household. And we're not saying that we played any role in the third royal baby, but anyway, I'm Nick, better known as Neptune. Let's see who's joining us today. Sodium, 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 Batman. It's Batman. Hi. He has more rants than Ben Shapiro on a university campus. It stars Tyrant. Thank you. Hello. He's hairy, he's brown, has green flesh when cut open and tends to cause people to come out in hives. It's Rombi! Uh, did you just compare me to a kiwi fruit? He likes his men like he likes his survival horror. Fuck. Al- alone and in the dark. It's George Trevor. Fuck, I knew I was going to regret saying that. Coming up on today's podcast, we'll be looking at all the latest biohazard news before delving into the listener-suggested podcast discussion, Raccoon City. Heads up, that will mean we'll be examining the city generally, the events leading up to the fateful day in October 1998, and how the games depicted this Midwestern US city. We, of course, will be finishing with this podcast edition of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz as well. So we'll start with the news. Revelations 1 and 2 is coming to Nintendo Switch Games Console. This surprise hit console is getting both games in a bundle priced at $39.99 or individually at $19.99. Strangely, perhaps, and Vito, calm down here, the bundle will only, (laughs) in the West, come with a physical card for Revelations 1 with a digital code for Revelations 2. The Nintendo Switch uh, release of Resident Evil Revelations has now been put forward to the 28th of November. So, uh, get your pre-orders in now if you are a Switch owner for it's the only Resident Evil on the console at the moment. Who's looking forward to that? Does anyone own a Switch? Anyone want to own a Switch? Anyone will be tempted to buy a Switch because of this? No. Tempted to own a Switch at some point, but I'm going to wait for a hardware revision. But um, unless there's a dedicated brand new title, I'm not really bothered about having the series again for it. I won't play it portably. And to be honest, and you know, another playthrough of Revelations One is enough to put me off the series forever. <laughs> I do like the Switch console. It's growing on me. I don't think I'd ever buy one, but I think it's been a surprise hit for Nintendo. I don't think they quite realised it was going to be as popular, but they, they do their typical understocking of suppliers to ensure that they're permanently sold out to boost demand. So that's uh, something to look forward to. At least if you do own a Switch, you'll get some Resident Evil on your console.
other news, Revelations 1 HD is now released on the current consoles. Batman and Star's Tyrant, you own the game. If you double-dipped, triple-dipped... Yeah, it's the definitive console version. Runs uh, in 1080, 60 frames a second with no drops. Still lacks the laser sights of the 3DS version, but I would say on the whole, it's a solid port and has upscaled surprisingly well. I'd go along with that. I enjoyed it as well, but there's just some some off about the game that I can't quite put my finger on. I don't know what it is. It's just it really sticks out from the rest of the series. It's, it doesn't feel like the rest of the games. I don't know why, but it just does. Do you think it's possibly to do with the as I said, the way it's structured with the chapters? I know that's not necessarily a new thing. We've had it in Resident Evil 4 and 5, but the way it does dart from Terra Grigia back to Zenobia, then yeah. back to Chris and Russia and God knows what. For me, it tries to be a survival horror game, but then with that structure that Resident Evil 5 has, I've got the game as well, and I launched myself into it, but just found the enjoyment I got from Revelations 2 that I thought I'd be getting again with this upscale and it does look very very nice for me it's worth the money just to have to be able to play that game on Xbox One yeah it does feel a bit off you know you want to explore the survival horror is enticing you to explore but yeah you're structured in a way that you can't really uh, one thing I did notice since playing 7 is god the ooze are so similar to the moulded mm. <laughs> I do wish, a bit like Revelations 2, once you've completed the game in the order that they want you to play the game in, you could actually do it in chronological order. Yeah. Well, I've been saying this for ages, and Jill's campaign should have been separate in the console versions, and the other chapters should be like unlockable at the end. I think that does kill the immersion, the constant character switching. And because the game is only one player, I don't really understand why Parker has to follow you around for the entire thing. And I think by the time you get to when Parker supposedly dies, and then doesn't, you're one revelation too much. You're quite tired by the fact that there's twists. And mm. then when you get to the, to the end credits, you're like, oh, for fuck's <laughs> And you're almost expecting at the end end Chris to wake up and go, oh, what a nasty dream. Oh, dear. But yeah, interesting game, interesting game. Talking of Tokyo Game Show, we have, of course, had our first new trailer of Not a Hero DLC, which is obviously now coming uh, as a free download package as part of the Gold Edition. We'll get onto the Gold Edition in a minute, but what did everyone think of the trailer for Not a Hero? It was a bit underwhelming, really, considering how long we've had to wait, but uh, it looks fine. You know, I think it shows a good distinction between playing as an untrained civilian like Ethan and then, you know, a combat veteran like Chris, because he can hold his weapons slightly differently to how Ethan holds them. And that shotgun he's got, that's another one of the anti-BOW weapons, Thor's hammer, I think it's called. That's pretty cool as well. I think it looks fine, but I'm not really expecting much from the gameplay itself. I'm more interested in the story content of this one. I think End of Zoe will be the proper climax to the game. Mm. I think it looks exactly like what some fans have accused the game of being, which is just a first-person shooter, which we all know the main game wasn't, but some people still labelled it as that. I think it looks pretty generic, but I'll not lie, I am looking forward to playing it in VR. I think it will be quite a fun VR experience. So, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll look forward to trying it in that. But other than that, it just just looked like a very run-of-the-mill shooter. Nice to see they've got his haymaker punch from five almost down to a T. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that Capcom have shot themselves in the foot a bit by, you know, th- th- there's been a bit of a build-up for this, the constant <laughs> delays, people get more and more excited, and we really shouldn't have done. I think if this had come out like a month or two later, it would have been just as a nice little action-packed aside. Yeah. Whereas the delay has caused the build-up to make it feel like it's going to be something considerable and I don't think it is. No. 
Well, that's why you pin your hopes on the fact that this and um, the last DLC will come out at the same time and then hope that the other one is, you know... To me, I'm looking at it and I'm going, this is like the answer to the action Resident Evil fan who might want to see a little bit more action in the game as a little DLC. And then hopefully, as Bat said, the end of Zoe kind of thing is more of a, akin to tying up the loose ends and plays a bit more like the traditional part of the game. I'm really looking forward to end of Zoe. She was one of my sort of favourite things going through the main game. So the fact that the last DLC is completely focused on her is a real draw. It kind of mirrors a bit like the Resident Evil 5 DLC, doesn't it? We've got Desperate Escape, which is looking to be like not a hero and then perhaps End of Zoe is going to be the Lost of Nightmares yeah the Lost of Nightmares kind of like a bit more explanation perhaps I think if they manage to pitch the sort of tone of it right if they go down the similar sort of direction like with the scene where you manage to speak to Jack through like a subconscious Yes. I think if they go on that sort of tone, the end of Zoe could be a really painful, not pleasant experience. Mm. Could be like living Lisa, Trevor's story. In and a good person. companion piece to Daughters as well, when you think about it, because that's your yeah. start of it and then that's the end of it. She's a really interesting character, Zoe. I think it's going to be a really tragic story. Mm. I was just going to say, I think she could even eclipse Lisa Trevor as being possibly the most tragic character in the series. It helps that we know what she looks like, whereas, of course, Lisa, was, there's never been any official drawings of her, really, is there? Apart from, obviously, in, in mutant mode. So, with Zoe, you relate more because you know exactly what she looks like and what she's all about. It'll be interesting to see what the actual threat is in her game, because we're assuming Chris will take care of Lucas. I'm really hoping they don't throw in something cheap, like have Jack Baker be still alive. Oh, I can see so, that coming. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the threat is, and I'm hoping it elaborates a bit more on why Zoe's obviously infected but she obviously hasn't had the same reaction that the rest of her family have had so I'm hoping the DLC will go a bit more into why that is Have they actually mentioned which choice it will follow? No but the brief glimpse we get in the trailer you see it washed up on the shore she's covered in like the mould substance so I think people are speculating that um, it's the choice where you save Zoe is going to be the canonical path but I don't know it could be either at this point she does dissolve doesn't she into like the cubes mm. doesn't she in the in the ending where you choose to save her it's nice as well that because the end of Zoe DLC was not featured in any of the main game files there's been no leaks whereas mm. well, we knew about the new white mould character from the not a hero leak we knew it, the mission was about finding Lucas and that we actually know nothing about end of Zoe which is really cool yeah there's a new any of you Resident Evil fans out there spreading these leaks you're all fuckers you know that <laughs> <laughs> of course in not to hear it there's a new B.O.W it's just another moulded isn't it just another big ass um, moulded yeah. it'll be interesting to see how the moulded react now that Eveline's dead as well I'm hoping there's going to be a puzzle element in there because we've sort of had a glimpse that Chris's men have been captured so um, I'm hoping there's some like Saw-esque games you have to play rescue and, them and it's not any, just a mindless shooter. Any aspiring um, biohazard countermeasure people out there, if you ever, after you've completed your training, get put with Captain Redfield, just be elsewhere. <laughs> oh, I'm ill that day. Sorry, Chief. Can't call him sick. <laughs> Because <laughs> he manages to do really well at losing every team. He does. He does. <laughs> no, I, I do wonder because what might be quite good with End of Zoe DLC is explore, as you say, exploring the kind of family dynamic. You say she reacted differently. I wonder if 
Jack and Marguerite kind of pick up on that. And perhaps there's more videotapes that could be found and you play prior to, say, Ethan turning up with perhaps Jack and Marguerite having a go at Zoe or trying to, you know, in their early stages going mad, trying to kill her because she's not reacting as quickly. Um, so I don't know, you know, there could be, if they want to expand it a bit, it, whilst keeping the same assets in the house, it wouldn't be too difficult to do. They have said um, both DLCs take place in completely new areas, though, haven't they? Oh, okay, right. I think not a hero is predominantly going to be in the mine. When you play through as Ethan, there's that one locked door in the mine that you can't get through, which I'm assuming Chris will go in. Be some sort of big lab down there, I imagine. They're talking about a hub area in the mine of okay. some description, I think. I like that. And then areas expanding out from that. So. And the woman on the radio is called Veronica, which I'm pleased about. The voice actress has said that because it just stops people saying, oh, it's Jill, it's Jill. <laughs> so we know already it's not code, Jill. Code Veronica. Well, you know what the community is like, don't you? <laughs> yeah. This is the resurrected Veronica in Alexia now being Chris's yeah, radio. Yeah, and Clone Lasker's going to turn up as well, remember. <laughs> I get the implication it's not a person, but perhaps a digital assistant. I can't remember where I was reading that. That Chris has named himself because he's fully embracing his blue umbrella persona now. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if the name Veronica is deliberate because this game's harkening back to the return of HCF. Oh, actually, that's not bad. Like yeah, that, but I don't. Man. I don't think it's a. You know, it's got any story significance whatsoever. I just think it's for. You know, for the cool. general. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about the HDF reference. That's actually not bad. Well yeah. done. Mm. <laughs> Five points. Uh, okay, so obviously we've got Gold Edition coming out. Prices were also announced. There was a bit of. <sighs> God, um, discussion on Twitter the other day about whether or not a hero is still not going to be on the Gold Edition disc. But I think Polygon has spoken to someone in Capcom and they've confirmed it will be. Ah, okay. Because the, the press release was a bit vague in that it looked like you were still going to have to download Not a Hero even with the Gold Edition. Mm. But I think that has been debunked now and it will all be featured on the disc. End of Zoe's paid DLC. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the season pass, if you. Oh, part of the airport, part of everything. I do like the gold edition box art on Japan, though, because it, yeah. it shows you the silhouette, and it's actually always been Mia. People don't know the Japanese logo. It's kind of like a weird silhouette of images from the game, you know, different weapons, and you can make out an outline of a woman, and no one really knew who it was, but it's actually Mia. It's a really freaky picture of her. So the last bit of news is the sudden surprise of the Resident Evil 2 board game, which I'm sure you've seen floating around on Facebook and Kickstarter. I think it's generally been quite well received. Um, I know in the UK, Game have now picked up on it as well. Kotaku's picked up on it, and it's hit its um, crowdfunding target. So Within a few hours, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it did very well. Mm-hmm. So um, who knows how long it will take to actually get made, but could be a good thing. I, I don't know the ins and outs of how crowdfunding works in terms of licenses. I can only assume that Capcom... Are happy with this allowing them to do it I think yeah, it's yeah. licensed it has to yeah. be approved beforehand it's like the Dark Souls board game needed the permission of FromSoft my understanding is that they prototyped it and then submitted it to Capcom to see if they could go ahead and they gave them permission that was how it went so so Nick, has this um has this buoyed you into getting <laughs> your uh, Resident Evil Monopoly crowdfunded? I don't okay. know. Should do. It's woefully out of um, date though. Think of the you know, the support goals you could add, like, you know, if people pledge fifty pounds or dollars you get Tyler Hamilton model. Oh. <laughs> 
I never, as I said, Screw Tyler but, Hamilton, I want Ark Thompson. <laughs> when I made, yes, I think when I made it, Dark Side Chronicles had just come out. I think that was the last game. When I was designing it, I tried to try and make it quite even as to all the locations on the board. So it was a fair distribution of localities. Was the car replaced with Ada's Mazda MX-5 from Resident Evil <laughs> See, this, this is what it needs updating, doesn't it? But it was interesting. At the time when I was doing it, I remember discussing it with you guys and everyone. But my general feeling was that there's no way a game like this would be made because Monopoly is predominantly a kind of kids family orientated game Resident Evil is not in that sense it's a proper kind of adult kind of gory horror game so the brands didn't mix but since then Monopoly have now got, they've got yeah Monopoly of everything and Monopoly Game of Thrones and it's like you know you couldn't get more anti-family board game if you tried so um, you know it's, it's still a possibility I suppose but it, I think it would need uh, drastic updating to include six seven revelations too yeah I've got any any of the revelations on it the one meter squared version sits in my shed and the uh, the actual board game sits behind my cupboard so it's um, still there still there Final bit of news, um, just a shout out. Sean, you wanted to mention that um, Marvel vs. Capcom 3 Infinite Infinite is out, featuring Nemesis, Chris Redfield, voiced by everyone's favourite Chris Redfield voice actor. Roger Craig Smith. Yeah, the story mode is really, really stupid, really, really silly, but there's a couple of quite little cool moments between Chris and the Nemesis, which I think, you know, look it up on YouTube or whatever, it's worth a bit of a crack. Uh, It's just nice to see Roger Craig Smith looking like Chris, not like he does in seven. It seems really strange that Capcom are doing this really weird back and forth between the characters. It's worth talking about that, like, obviously, they've changed Chris's appearance, changed his voice actor, but then for Marvel vs. Capcom, they've gone back to his five appearance. Dante is represented by his more classic appearance, not the rebooted. And Frank West was replaced. His voice actor was new for Dead Rising Rising 4, 4. but it's his classic voice actor used in Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. So there's a real problem, it seems, internally with Capcom and their voice actors at the minute yeah, and it's creating a real mixed message with the fans I don't know whether they uh, Ron you know more about the panel did they discuss Chris's changed appearance on the TGS panel I don't think they did I didn't hear or see anything I think they've left that for previous comment and just talked about the sort of gameplay for Not A Hero that does conclude the news welcome to the Umbrella Chronicles accessing file number Two, four, nine, eight, one, one, four, nine, R, C. Biohazard. The outbreak occurred in the summer of 1998. It started in the American Midwestern town of Raccoon City and brought hell to Earth. The T-virus was developed as a biological weapon, proliferating amongst the unsuspecting public. It metamorphosed them into living death zombies. Umbrella's mission statement had always been preserving the health of the people. But beneath this bright statement lurked the shadow of Oswald E. Spencer's ambition. And a fight concerning the outbreak incident in Raccoon City. 
So this was a listener-suggested podcast, and we happily to oblige, as uh, we are running a bit out of things to talk about in the biohazard world. As long as they keep pumping out the games, I suppose we're okay. But in between, we wanted to get to grips with what is undoubtedly the biggest event that's often referred in many of the games, the Raccoon City incident. The city itself is depicted in numerous games, from 1-0, Outbreaks 1 and 2, 2-3, and as said earlier, referenced in pretty much every other game going. So it's a good opportunity to look back at the city and see what everyone thought about it playing through it, uh, especially over the the four main games which cover the city exploration. But what we're going to try and do, and bear with us folks, is kind of go from the kind of historical point of view, building up to the events in uh, September 1998. So if we start with Raccoon City, bear in mind there could be some useful points for the quiz later. I won't say anything else. The interesting thing about Raccoon City is if you put all the games together, two, three, the outbreaks, and even if I may be so bold, Operation Raccoon City, you can get quite a nice historical picture of the city. We don't really get a foundation date in any of the games until Operation Raccoon City, which suggests it was founded. It was founded in 1881. Oh, my fucking days. Have I got to do this again? I'm not saying it's canon. But then you can't handpick pieces of canon out of it to suit... I'm not suggesting, I'm just saying that's the only game that gives us a foundation date. He's just putting it in the ether. Great. And it fits quite well with other games as well, because remember the unlockable things you could get in the Outbreak games with the points you collect? Yes. Now, the SP items, yeah. You could unlock background artwork, and it would give you a little bit of history behind them. And one of them was the university main hall was designed by some Japanese architect in the 1930s. Oh. And the university clock tower was constructed in the 1940s. And then, remember, when you could examine the gravestones in Resident Evil 3, and one of them was for Dom E. Joe, who was a Raccoon City war hero who served in the Navy. I know another community member, USS Command, he's did pictures of the concept art, and I know he's a lone voice in being a supporter of Operation Raccoon City. I know he delves into it in the knowledge that it's non-canon, trying to find interesting information. And he's told me that the level of correct canon detail in some of the textures, just cigarette boxes that match up with the correct make from Outbreak, and quite a lot of stuff that relates back to Outbreak. You know, just things litter, street signs, guns, badges, all sorts of things like this in Operation Raccoon City that completely match up with tiny detail that you'd think that a passionate RE nerd would only know about. Yeah. I mean, the examples I've just given there, there's an example from each game there, and if you put it all together, it does fit chronologically. Mm. But a lot of the textures in Operation Raccoon City are gibberish, though. Like, you can read name plaques of, like, past Raccoon City mayors and maintenance inspectors, and the names are just absolute gibberish, like Davidar, Stuardo, Zabuski. <laughs> you know, it's because they obviously don't intend you to read them, but... <laughs> can you be the main character in 8, please? <laughs> <laughs> but then you get into the 1960s, where Michael Warren comes over as an engineer and helps with the yes. city's electrical system. Well, before we dig into that, I thought we could try right off the bat the classic argument, where is Raccoon City? The discussion about that has been going on for quite a long time. However, in recent times, I think if you look at some of the forums around the internet, there's been a degree of consensus about where it possibly could be, with Missouri, I think, being an optimal candidate. It satisfies the criteria, and I think the city of Springfield, I think, in Missouri, fits the criteria quite well of being in the Midwest and close to certain mountains and matches the geography. And I think there is, forgive me, whoever actually posted pictures somewhere on the forum somewhere, that the actual photographs of the city do match quite nicely with the building structure of Raccoon City that we see. So that's probably the best 
best candidate. But over the years, it's been considered to be somewhere even in the Appalachian Mountains, of course, which isn't the Midwest, um, or right in the Tornado Alley as well. But I think Missouri is possibly the, the strongest candidate. It certainly fits in that. So. I'm sure if you watch the intro to Umbrella Chronicles, there's a map of the United States with all the states on there. And it pinpoints, there is. It pinpoints Raccoon City on there, but I've never really looked at it properly. Oh, there you go. There's some homework for someone to do whilst we're recording. Colorado, maybe? I don't know. Possibly. I suppose with the Rocky Mountain foothills, maybe. But there we go. So we had Michael Warren come in with the electrification plans. We also had the Kike brothers as well come in yes. to start doing all the uh, trains. Yep. That was in 1969. Thank you, thank you. The Kite Brothers certainly linked up to nearby cities and outside the town, and we see that in Resident Evil 3 in particular at the station, uh, the main city street station tram line. And can you remember there was that old outbreak map that nobody can seem to find anymore? I remember someone had it way, way back on RE Horror, and it showed, right. it showed like the surrounding area and it connected to different cities like Stoneville and Arkley City and Old Court and places like that. Oh, it did. I might have even hosted it at one point. Yeah, but nobody could seem to find it these days. Yes, this, I do remember that, yeah. It just sort of disappeared. Wasn't it from the website as opposed to the game? Maybe, yeah, it wasn't in the game. I can remember it now, yeah. Mm. I think it was ripped from a website. Oh, that could be worth plunging. I love a Gandar while we're recording. Have, have bring up a few maps. Oh look, the first one I see is it? Oh god, I just love that game so much. It's my favourite layout of the city. Operation Raccoon City, I just love it. <laughs> I love the generic hospital. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I suppose what we'll do, we'll kind of move on, we'll start with a build up and what happens leading into the city leading up to the events in 1998. So this is going to be more of a timeline expedition, I suppose, as well. But we've got the aftermath of the mansion incident led to heightened security around the Arclay Forest and obviously distrust of the uh, stars and irons being bribed by, well, influenced, if you like, by William Birkin to keep everything under the QT. But that failed to stop the dead factory from receiving all the dead bodies, wasn't it? And that, that caused a smaller outbreak in the city. Yeah, you've had the fallout from the mansion incident and um, the virus was already starting to leak in the sewers and the dead factory couldn't process the amount of contaminated materials that William Birkin's lab was shipping over and the disposal system couldn't handle it, so that was slowly leaking. Even before Hunk's mission, there was always going to be a biohazard in Raccoon City, I think. Yes, yeah, he was certainly the catalyst for the, the widespread panic, certainly. And also, a forgotten point is the abandoned hospital and outbreak. Yeah. That had Dorothy, bless her. She was already infecting local area back in 97, was it? 93. 93! Mm. So there was already T-virus outbreak, albeit a very contained one. Mm in that area so that must have had an impact I, I can't remember if green zombies were present at that point in time or whether it was just restricted to Dorothy herself and Axeman but... what's the common belief that the cause of the outbreak that's referenced in remake in the news reports about unknown murders because I thought we were led to believe it was Cerberus that had escaped the mansion there aren't any news reports in the remake is there at the very beginning in the cutscene when you've got oh, that sorry. television screen and it talks about families were murdered by sort of an unknown oh the hiker the, the missing hikers yeah yeah, yeah. I think the Cerberus have killed people and infected people as well. In the first game, wasn't there the suggestion that it was actually a group of homeless people? The suggestion was really that it was then zombies. Well, they thought it was some sort of ritualistic cult. Yeah. But they were basically um, describing zombies, yeah. It's an important point because I think those Cerberus and any perhaps straggling zombies wouldn't have been affected by the mansion blown up or by the training facility blowing up. So, as Bat said, there's always going to be an outbreak in Raccoon City. And I think this goes back to Wesker's report, too. And something that Wesker raised, didn't he? He said, why would Spencer want a lab here in the middle of a forest, alive, 
basically yeah. with, with wildlife. And I don't think that's ever really been followed up, even in RE5. And of course, you know, we praise RE5's storyline quite significantly and quite rightly. But even there, he mentions think... everything was lost with Raccoon City. And it's like, yeah, it, it was. But previous games suggested that it was intentional by Spencer. Going off the top of my head, I think he was hoping that Birkin and Wesker could manipulate the T-virus so it was 100% effective, so it would infect every single person. But there was always that 10% of people who would have natural immunity. And that's why the research kept going, because Spencer would never approve it. Obviously, his ultimate plan was to initiate a worldwide biohazard where only superior humans would survive. And yeah. yeah, like you say, it's it's not clear, but he obviously built it there in a purposeful place where the virus would thrive should it ever get out. I mean, that goes back as well to whether at this point Raccoon City, should I say, was completely in the pocket of Umbrella. Yeah. Influence was significant. Sort of in the early 1990s when Umbrella really started gaining influence because they paid for a lot of the city's redevelopment, didn't they? They paid for the new hospital. They paid for the renovation of City Hall. And I think they employed three out of every ten people in the city. And they part-funded Stars as well. I was going to say, weren't they even behind, basically, Stars was their, you know, kind of link inside uh, the authority, you know, as an authority figure within the city, because didn't they effectively initiate the setup of Stars? Yeah, and they paid for half of it, which meant they had better weapons and equipment compared to most standard SWAT teams. And because they paid for half the unit, they had obviously influence on recruitment, which is how Wesker was made leader and he could pick the rest of the team. Which made them ideal candidates for combat test data, I suppose. Yeah. It did quite well. So uh, I suppose if we stick with Umbrella's influence, then you know Umbrella purchased the their training facility, Spencer's Mansion. Within the city itself, we also had what I've described in my Monopoly board end plug that um, <laughs> <laughs> I called it the commercial headquarters because they seem to be the most public face of Umbrella. What we see in Outbreak File Two. Mm. They're quite clearly laboratories of some description, and they don't really make any bones to hide it. You don't have to walk far within the labs to get to bioorganic weapons. I couldn't see like a you know an area where this oh this is where we make our aqua cure safe aqua cure thank you. It was commercial, but it was quite sinister commercial. <laughs> yeah, just like every other lab, really. It was, it was, but it's right in the middle of downtown mm. Raccoon City. It's got like a front reception that you see, yeah. don't you? When David's battering that thing, the zombie to death with a pipe. It's very much like a building in disguise, isn't it? Yeah. I suppose they had to have some sort of physical business presence. And I'm pretty sure there's a sign on the wall saying there's tours of the facility or something to that oh, really? effect. Yeah. That corridor where you start the scenario in where everyone's in there. Yeah. I'm pretty sure That's there's like... a sign on the wall saying if you examine it, it says something about a tour of the facility or something. So perhaps we as players only ever visited the BOW part, but then the pharmaceutical bit was just down the other corridor that we never saw. Mm. But anybody who's interested in the history of Raccoon City really needs to delve deep into the two Outbreak games, especially like the ad-libbing that you can do in the NTSC Mm. version of the game. I discovered something only last year when I was doing timeline research, is when you do ad-libs when the characters are in the main hall of the university building, if you keep doing it for long enough, one of them explains that Umbrella invested funds in 1994, I think it was, which allowed them to put many of their researchers in there, which basically explains the backstory of why Greg Muller's there and why he's got a lab and why he's doing tyrant research. You know, when you play the games and you just see these things, it's pretty random, but there's always like a backstory behind them. It's just the problem is the backstory is never particularly easy to find. Just don't forget um, 
Yeah, too much growth weakens an organisation, though. No. Exactly. Absolutely, absolutely. I do fear though, if they ever did an outbreak HD or, or a new outbreak, things like this will be lost, and then it'll be a fine line as between whether those ablibs will be canon or not. Yeah, I think they're canon because it's the only way you can get certain backstories altogether, like Yoko's. Yeah. I'm saying they're canon now, but whether if they did another one and all ablibs and stuff were completely removed. I think they'd retain them. The outbreak's a bizarre project. I'm surprised they've not, you know, revived it for this generation or the last one with online where it is now I genuinely think it would find its audience especially in the wake of Remake and Zero HD I think there'd be a real a real hunger for it mm, definitely oh I don't know I think it needs fundamental reworking I'm watching a video now of End of the Road in 1080 someone's evidently got it running through an emulator and it looks cracking yeah but it's they need to get rid of the stupid viral meter because that just pisses everyone off <laughs> I think all it really needs is voice support because surely the assets will have been downgraded anyway to fit on the PS2, would they not? I'm sure we've spoken about this before. It upscales really well. You won't be surprised if you look at a few of the videos. They look really solid. And the viral meter, yeah, I can understand the frustration of it, but it's kind of needed online to get players moving. When you've you've got a cooperative-based game, you need to have a force that's constantly pushing you forward. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll just get people just fucking about and not paying attention and not doing things properly. You know, you'll always get the ones who just run off and do their own thing. I understand why they put it. I don't know why they have it for offline mode, but we digress. We do, we do, we do digress. <laughs> so, yeah, so I suppose that looking at the initial causes, as George said, we had what we can still describe as the mansion incident. And also the, the kind of curious incident of the water treatment from Zero being infected with, like, lurkers and hunters. And Can I just ask, for the purpose of this debate, What's the canon status with regard to where the first outbreak took place? Because I was initially of the opinion that there was an outbreak that happened independently of Marcus's revenge on Umbrella, was that actually scientists within the laboratory in the mansion, literally due just to mismanagement, similar to the waste factory not being looked after properly, not being maintained properly, uh, that there was a separate outbreak at the mansion. That was the original storyline before the retconned it with Zero. Oh. In the first game, it was just an accident, wasn't it? Because the researchers were working themselves too hard. Mm. And whereas they changed it in Zero to Marcus infiltrated the mansion and leaked the virus into the water supply. Morpheus is a scapegoat. Yeah. There's no suggestion that there's two different viruses going on as well. The one that's spread by Marcus, but then a separate T-virus outbreak from the mansion. Yeah, it is two separate strains, but it's never explained in the game. Obviously, the strain Marcus leaks in the training facility is his original strain using the leeches. Yeah. And, yeah. But when he breaks into the mansion, he leaks the strain they're working on at the moment, which is the V-Act strain. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I always sort of thought that the VX strain in the mansion actually had nothing to do with Marcus and was almost like a coincidental accident around about the same time. That was the original plan from the original game, but Marcus, he says it, doesn't he? Black and white in the game, he scattered the T virus in the mansion. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the one's caused from the hunk incident, really. That's what escalates it, isn't it? The rats, yes. eat, rats munching on the T virus samples in the case. Yeah. So, as depicted in the excellent opening to Resident Evil Outbreak. This way. It's sheer perfection. My precious G-Virus. No one will ever take you away from me. There he is. So you finally come. Doctor, we're here to collect the G-Virus sample. Sorry, but I won't just hand over my life's work. You might hit the sample. 
rested all right. Okay, let's move out. William. Oh my. Hold on, darling. I'm taking care of that bullet wound first. Stay here. Alpha team, have you retrieved the sample yet? Roger. But it's strange that the rats don't actually mutate in any way whatsoever. <laughs> they don't turn into some awful B.O.W. Mm. It's got to be the only mammal, I think, in the series that doesn't actually have any form of reaction other than... Because of vermin already, they've got hugely great immune systems. They do, yeah. Mm. They just go a bit Sith Lord on us and get yeah. nasty coloured eyes and start going, you know... That's true. In the London Underground, you have the Uber rats that are, you know, about 20 feet long and can't be killed by any known rat killer. Yes, I suppose it's the same sort of deal. But interesting that the outbreak didn't take the opportunity. They did the fleas, didn't they? Or I was going to ask. Gonna say, yeah, why, why waste the opportunity when you can do a flea called Gigabyte? <laughs> <laughs> they could have done something, but there you go. Anyway, so yes, uh, that certainly was the catalyst for the uh, rapid spread, and that occurred on 23rd of September. Yes. If I can just go back a step, I'm sure I've talked about this before, but it's one of my favourite subplots in the entire series, and it's not even in the games, because it comes from Kawamura's interviews that he's given, and he was obviously the writer of Biohazard 3, and it's all to do with this US government relationship with Umbrella, and how the government was Umbrella's first customer when it came to buying biological weapons, and obviously they were in each other's pocket for a long time, until after the mansion incident, when Umbrella were putting pressure on William Birkin to finish the G-Virus, and Birkin Birkin began to realise that he probably wasn't going to get a position on the executive board. I think that's hinted in a file in Resident yeah. Evil 2. And the conditions in the dead factory, that's because Birkin has allowed them to escalate on purpose to sort of deflect attention away from him. And ah. eventually, instead of handing the G-Virus over to Umbrella when it's complete, he instead contacts the US military and negotiates with a high-ranking government official. And the unwritten rule is that it's Derek Simmons... And this eventually leads to a plan by the US military to extract William Birkin and get the G-Virus and him into their custody. But obviously Umbrella hear about this because they've got spies in the government and that's why they kickstart Hunk's mission so they can get there before the military do. And the military infiltrate Raccoon City but because they don't have a good intelligence network, they don't have a, a good layout of the underground lab, they actually take the wrong elevator and that's why they end up at the dead factory. And the reason oh. they've got the rail cannon with them is because William Birkin said there's a chance you'll come up against creatures infected with the G-Virus. So the special forces unit end up at the dead factory completely by accident which allows Hunk's team to get to Birkin first. And obviously because the military have gone against Umbrella by trying to snatch Birkin and the G-Virus, this is what destroys the entire relationship between Umbrella and the US government, which lasts throughout the rest of the series, with one side trying to blame the other for the mm. destruction of the city. And I think that's so, a lovely yeah. plot point, but it's just not there in any of the games, and most people won't even be aware of it, which is such a shame. Sorry, I've heard you mention that before. So where does that come from again? It comes from Carol Moore, the interview. Oh, just from the interview, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the two yeah. interviews are still on Project Umbrella, and yeah. most of the backstory is on there. It's really, really good. So the US military then were looking to get to presumably the marshalling yard and ended up at the dead factory. Yeah, and the reason for that is they didn't have concrete intelligence on the layout of Umbrella's facilities and took the wrong route and ended up at the incinerator facility stroke dead factory by mistake. 
we've got to work out dates here because if you're saying they arrived at the dead factory at, let's just say 22nd of september it's like given 24 hours to get there ahead of why are they still there it's not explained it's sort of the same problem with what's hunk been doing for a week before he you know decides to leave the city with the g virus we don't have a solid date but obviously the military had to have set off roughly the same time as hunk because it was a race as to who would get there first that's all fine and dandy but the problem is that one of the best scenes in the dead factory is the fact that you can see all the the u.s spec ops people they're all sprawled across the batteries and whatnot and there's a tyrant there's a mr x tyrant super tyrant that's been battered to death by the rail cannon yeah that's because later in the week sergei vladimir drops the tyrants there doesn't yeah. he? so you're saying that they didn't get very far at all in what the seven days no. Is that... <laughs> okay so they take the wrong turn get to the dead factory and they just hang around for a week yes don't ask me why but that's yeah, that's what happened, that's what happened. Um, they've obviously done some other stuff but we don't know what it is raped and pillaged maybe they didn't even know they were in the wrong facility and just sort of secured it and waited hoping birkin would come to them i don't know it's not explained yes because obviously the tyrants didn't get there till the 29th do I dare ask the fated question, does Umbrella Corps help with this? Umbrella Corps doesn't, no. no sorry, 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 I'm orc, orc. No, it just makes it even more of a mess. The basic idea is right, because obviously it depicts Spec Ops teams going in. It's just, in the canon, you don't have literally an army of Spec Ops teams going into Raccoon City. So, if we talk about maybe the lab then, before it's all destroyed and things like that, and the geography of it, this has always been a bit of a debate <laughs> with regards to the marshalling yard. There's um, some amazing maps on Google. Give it a look, guys. They're really good. And this comes down to the magic elevator, amongst other things. Um, and whether the marshalling yard from Resident Evil 2 is the same marshalling yard seen in Resident Evil 0. We think, just to recap, we think we kind of got to the bottom of it. If you look at Resident Evil archives and all the artwork for 0, at no point is the marshalling yard ever drawn, uh, concept-arted at all. And if you follow the, the story of the artwork, it kind of suggests that the Sky Tram from 0 was supposed to go from the church, Marcus's lab, straight down to the water treatment plant. And at some point they decided, why don't we link it in with Resident Evil 2 and have it go and quickly stop there? I would suggest that's correct. In the sewers of the training facility, you can even examine like a sewer pipe with water coming out of it and it says this must connect to the factory next door or something. Yeah. And obviously it doesn't. And on the really old biohazard 2 website for the gamecube from like 2004 or whenever it was it came out it even had a picture of the marshalling yard and a caption saying something like haven't we been here before mm. or something to that effect i think if we're, we're on a level where we're going to want it to match up geographically perfect i always like to look at these things in terms of obviously what the clear intention is and yeah i think the clear intention is that it's the same otherwise there'll be just so much confusion having these similar facilities that you know that don't quite match up yeah i think the resident evil 2 website says it all for me and if it's a separate facility, you're talking about if there's a big industrial zone in the middle of Raccoon Forest, which is just bollocks. Yeah, yeah. There is a discrepancy with the number on the top of the, the shed, but I think it's just a mistake. Yeah. Mm. And for me, Umbrella Chronicles cleared up as well with beginnings and the route Wesker takes back to get to the Sky Tram. As I said, he could have just gone up the elevator if it was uh, if that was so quick, because that's ultimately where he ended up. It would have been a two-minute journey as opposed to a 25-minute journey. So. Oh, I hadn't thought of that, so that confirms it's the same as well in Chronicles. 
Well, I think so, because ultimately he ends up, he wants to get out of the training quite wide. I think he has to go back to the training facility to investigate or something. And he was already at the bottom of the marshalling yard. He's already in Birkin's lab. He could have just easily walked across, hit the magic elevator and gone Mm. straight up to the Ecliptic Express. The rule of the magic elevator is though that the top floor doesn't exist and that's just simply a gameplay mechanic a la the box, but the, the bottom three floors of it can work. Yeah. Oh, it's only the top floor. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just if people just accept that as being an item box for zero, you know, the magically linked thing, then it's still a piss poor way of getting around the inventory <laughs> problem because the geography's pretty solid in the series outside of that elevator. Yeah. It's actually quite good, quite consistent. Was I right in thinking didn't Ridley do a really good map that he posted at PU? Yes, he did. Where... Ridley said if you take the whole elevator as cannon, then the basement of the training facility is actually on a cloud in the sky above the Marshall Inn yard. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think you can get any more definitive than that. We've had all sorts, such as... Get, you know, oh, I remember him. I remember him. The elevator goes sideways, then up. Elaborate uh, drawings of it actually on the side of a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> it was ridiculous, yeah. But always uh, nice to bring up an old an old topic. Still not quite resolved, in my opinion. The the magical appearance of Enrico suddenly on the master elevator. Oh, uh, you're not wrong about that. Well, let's not go there. <laughs> I'm back at but work I... next week. <laughs> <laughs> if my Resident Evil 2 memory serves me well, which is not great, I'll be honest, is that there are two levels above where Enrico comes from, I think. There is scope for that elevator to go somewhere up to the top that we just never see in Resident Evil 2. I think there is an upper floor in Resident Evil 2 that that elevator goes to. It's where Leon gets out of the um, main freight lift and he goes through the vent, doesn't he, when he leaves Ada on the train and you fight Mr. X in that corridor. You take the elevator down from there and it brings you out onto the master elevator level. Yes. Where the main platform docks. So I think there is scope that it does go up. That's as best as it gets for Enrico's magical appearance. And quite where Enrico was then going afterwards. Who knows? Fan fiction area, I feel. <laughs> what does everyone think of like the actual underground lab and water treatment area in Raccoon City? Do you felt that that suitably matched how an early 1990s lab would have looked? <laughs> I'd like to know how they built it in 1991 under the city without anyone yeah. knowing, but... It was fine, and I think Outbreak was very, very faithful in the way they depicted it and added a few more levels to it. Yeah, very respectfully you know, done. Yeah. Outside of a you know a couple of ladders that weren't in there, and there's an extra panel yeah. on the train platform, it's actually really, really good. Because mm. it worked relatively well, doesn't it? Because below freezing point starts basically where you fight Burke in G4, don't you? You kind of climb up a bit and you're on that elevator, aren't you? Yeah. The other levels are very respectfully done and fit the feel quite well. I remember reading ridiculous theories that it was a different lab when Outbreak first came out. Fucking <laughs> yeah. Again, that'd be something I'd want to see from Remake 2. You know, maybe a, a Hunter 125R body on the floor. Something like that. An N64 version has a nice little Easter egg there. It does, but it's a different Hunter, though. It is, but... yeah, but it's still nice. See, I think that's one way they can improve, because we all want to know, you know, how they're going to improve the RE2 remake. But, I mean, I haven't played Outbreak, but I always wanted to see more evidence of of a catastrophe occurring in these labs you know they all looked very well managed and and very clean and very organized and it was the files that gave you the indication that you know there was mismanagement and there was intrigue and betrayal so that could be a way without you know altering the feel of the game that i know you know batman and others are really particularly concerned about uh that they could just add to it well the concern would be that they'll turn birkin's lab into what we see in orc which would be a catastrophe 
you see sort of more of the experimentation side in Orc, don't you? You do see hunters in tanks and you see like pods with like dissected liquor claws in them and things like that and microscopes and computers and things like that. Yeah. Because the, yeah. the base lab in Resident Evil 2, it's quite empty. You know, yes, that's, yeah. Considering it was built for G-Virus research, there's not many research areas that you go to. Apart from Birkin's main lab where he gets shot. I'd like to see a lot more. I think that's something they can definitely improve on with the remake. Well, equally, I think if we go on to Hunk's mission itself, which obviously is September 23rd, that's still a bit of a bone of contention as to why he took so long to suddenly say, well, I better leave. <laughs> Umbrella were informed by Annette that the T-Virus had leaked into the sewers, information they probably already had. Obviously, they're very suspicious of what had happened to William Birkin. I think they must have known about the dead factory as well, overspilling, and they're acutely aware of what was going on as the virus creeps into the city. Chief Iron starts to go mental, doesn't he? He does, he does. September 23rd. It's all over. Those imbeciles from Umbrella have finally done it. Despite all their promises, they've ruined my town. Soon the streets will be infested with zombies. I'm beginning to think that I may be infected myself. I'll kill everyone in town if this turns out to be true. So the Pentagon prepare a cover story that radioactive waste has leaked within the city limits. This provides cover for the army investigation unit to be deployed into the town to verify the seriousness of the spill. It's quite a strange point, that, because it's only really elaborated on in the epilogue um, to outbreak scenario, where it shows the army blockade in the city and then it says yesterday morning the pentagon released a cover story i just remembered um how amazing it was when i first played outbreak to see like all these events from you know finally a different perspective Mm. i think outbreak for its flaws although i really still enjoy the games a lot i really appreciated how it does flesh out like the raccoon city storyline i think it should be really praised for that it generated a good story point for why so many zombies suddenly turned up at the same time with the outbreak at the football match. Oh, yeah, the yes. Sharks. Absolutely. No, that's very good. Again, you know you're really early on in the outbreak, in Outbreak, for the first kind of chapter of the game, and to suddenly have all this, especially by the end of the scenario, you're blowing up the whole of Main Street, aren't you? Mm. But it makes perfect sense that all the ones you're kind of really seeing here are, are all the crowd from the football game. And then you've obviously got the police all still involved. The town hasn't quite gone to hell yet, but I certainly think that the bomb in Main Street was the first time that, on the ground at least, the city was going to hell. Imagine if that actually happened in, you know, in a city. Suddenly, uh, you know, the police set off a bomb to blow up the undead. You're like, what the? F-? You know, you... well, they didn't even realise it was zombies. They were responded to like reports of fighting and rioting breaking out. So it's pretty yeah. extreme action. Yeah, we'll just blow them all up. <laughs> But that's what I liked about the first outbreak scenario. Like you said, it was very early on and we saw the police response and plenty of civilians still about. And that was in good contrast to Resident Evil 2 and 3 where the city is already completely dead. Yeah, and it'd be interesting, wouldn't it, to see a game whereby... And this is why I did like the opening of Resident Evil 5, the very opening, because you got to wander around a perfectly normal kind of place. And a bit like Tall Oaks, I suppose, to an extent, you see a lot of civilians still, and the carnage that's unfolding. I did enjoy that quite a lot. And of course, Hellfire also links in with the outbreak scenario. Nothing significant happens in that chapter. It just tells you at the end that the army's been called in, so... Oh, yeah. You know it takes place the same time as Outbreak. Yesterday, just before dawn, the Pentagon announced that radioactive waste has been leaked throughout Raccoon City. In accordance with U.S. safety regulations, the 
city has been placed under quarantine, and the army has been sent in to investigate and control the situation. So, the next day, we have more looting, rioting across the town, and the jewels are taken from the clock tower. Yes, and Marvin Brunner investigates it, doesn't he? So that tells you that he's still doing normal jobs. Sorry, is that an outbreak? No, that's in Resident Evil 3. He files his own report Mm. when he gets back to the station, and then doesn't he close it, saying there's not enough evidence or something? There's not enough officers. But that's interesting that he was still doing that, because I think through a long-term analysis of where and when the outbreak scenarios happen, we have wild things happening on this particular day, albeit in the evening. And that's it, because by that point, you've got the evacuation helicopters are starting to take people away. We know that uh, Michael Warren's already fled. The mayor has bolted from the stable already. The captain does not go down with this ship. No, he does not. He's out of there. I wonder how much he knew about Umbrella and their insidious activities. Oh, he knew all about it. (laughs) He maybe didn't know about the biological research, but obviously Umbrella paid for everything and they've helped his position. Because is it Resident Evil 3 where he gets the statue in the City Hall garden for all his achievements? And Umbrella have basically paid for all them achievements, so I would say he just basically does what they tell him to. And they probably helped him get out of the city. Well, that's interesting because we see in Umbrella Chronicles, Umbrella are evacuating people right up to the end with the person who's definitely not Spencer being evacuated. Mm. Unless he figured it out, it was all, all over at that point. But it's interesting that contrasts nicely to Marvin investigating what amounts to be a petty theft. At the same time, his whole city's been blockaded. Well, you get the impression the mayor knew what was going to happen, because he's obviously left in a hurry, because he left his daughter behind. And he just seems to get out at the right time before the shit really hits the fan. Mm. I, you know, I half wonder whether um, Branner was doing that under instruction from the chief, that just to keep the officers occupied. Oh, that's possible, not, yeah. not looking in the right places. That's possible, yeah. September 24th. I was successful in spreading confusion among the police as planned. I've made sure that no one from the outside will come to help. With the delays in police actions, no one will have the chance to escape my city alive. I've seen to it personally that all escape routes from inside the precinct have been cut off as well. There are several survivors still attempting to escape through the lower levels. But I'll make sure no one gets out. I feel sorry for George. He's not played Outbreak. <laughs> Have you seen things on Wild Things? Because Wild Things is probably my favourite scenario. It's fucking... It's bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really is so stupid. I've tried to avoid spoilers because every time this stuff comes up on a podcast, I'm repeatedly reminded, not just the gameplay, but the level of detail that went into Outbreak and the canon significancy and the consistency as well. You know, Operation Raccoon City's tried and failed to do this, and I think we all fear that the remake will try and fail to do this, and that was really the last, you know, true representation of Raccoon City in large like that and only an Outbreak HD so remaster or a third file is going to satisfy the fans because that would actually be a good way to realise Raccoon City without having to walk over the grave of RE2 what I liked about Wild Things is that I think Sean's right it is absolutely bonkers you know you've got zombified God knows what and yet it still felt quite true it felt like this is totally a you know a genuine place that would exist in a little town like this you know it wasn't a big zoo it had a couple of star attractions in the Oscar the Elephant and the Lion and whatnot and there's lots of interesting information about how they were able to get the wild orchids into the tropical area because that was against the Washington Convention oh yeah the, the chairman of the zoo was bright yes. and that's how they paid for the uh, terrarium dome isn't it yeah and then the convenience of the Rastafella blossoming just during the outbreak which is quite funny 
Because they, they blossom once every five years, I think. Once every five years they blossom or something like that. Someone can correct me. And it just happened to be at that point that they get quite interesting. But yes, going back to the zoo, I, I felt the geography of the place was wonderful. There's also the hint, wasn't there, that after this, the survivors escape on the trams. Yes, because their rescue helicopter had crashed. Yes. And again, further explosions in the city, which undoubtedly would be a strong indicator that the shit is now absolutely hitting the fan. You've got the helicopters blowing up, you've got bombs going off the day before. And the epilogue for this scenario confirms that the city is now completely quarantined. Yes. So that's evening of September 24th. Yeah. Of course, by this point, we've already got not just the appearance of zombies and possibly a few Cerberus and what's going on in the zoo, but we've got Suspended's already been noted. Oh yeah, you'll have everything by now. Like all the stuff in the sewers which had been going on prior to Hunk's mission, that's what will have generated like the Drain, Demios and the... What's the other one called? Is it Brain Sucker? Brain Suckers, yeah. And the large roaches and giant spiders. And... I don't know if it's canon, I suppose it is the lurkers, the frog lurkers appearing in the city, because they're only in Dark Side Chronicles. Oh yeah, but they appear later on in Resident Evil 3, don't they? In the park. No, 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 that's the Gamma, that's the Hunter Gamma. Yes, uh, my mistake. The lurkers appear in Dark Side Chronicles. Yes, that's right. Uh, whether they canonically appear in the game, I don't know, because it's a slight, obviously a slight retelling. I like to think so, I don't see why not. There we go. The brain suckers and drain demos are abnormal parasites. They're not fleas. I think that was possibly a mistranslation, but they've mutated to ill proportions. And at some point, the grave digger started to mutate. Didn't I read that came from the dead factory? The grave digger? Yeah. No, I think it was just a secondary infectant. Wow. Okay. And then, of course, it started to reproduce with the sliding worms. Yes. Which certainly didn't help. Yeah, so by this point, everything's going tits up, absolutely. We then head to September 25th. This was the day Birkin was originally supposed to meet with ambitions from the Chicago branch of Umbrella to present the finished G-virus, but obviously this meeting never happens because he's mutated and the virus wasn't finished. Mm-hmm. I don't really think much else happens on this day. I've put this day as the underbelly scenario, but I don't think it's a firm confirmation. There's not really any dates, but it's a nice place for it to fit. Well, yeah, there's no firm dates as to when Umbrella Europe sent in Nemesis and the Hunters, because that would have to link in. I think the Hunter Gammas were deployed quite early because they're captured and put in the hospital, aren't they? Oh, and, yes, of course, yeah. And all the hospital staff are wiped out on September the 26th, according to the head doctor's diary, so it would have to have happened before then. So who captured them? I presume just hospital staff, because they were working on trying to create a vaccine for the virus, but the vaccine never got finished because they were all infected, and one by one they all turned into zombies. Hmm. Hunter Gammas definitely came from Umbrella Europe. Yeah. And the Hunter Beaters. Hunter Beaters as well, yeah. So that would suggest that when Nemesis was deployed? Um, Possibly, yeah, but we don't know exactly when Nemesis was sent Hmm. in. Well, if you tie it up with confidential report... Well, there you go, case closed. But Underbelly, I'd suggest, still takes place quite early on because in the little intro you get, there's still like panic on the streets and cars crashing and civilians running around. So I would suggest it's still fairly early on. That's the first person introduction, is it, where they're running down the... Yeah, where they run down the subway, yeah. Into the subway, yeah. yeah. We don't have um, specific dates for these, do we? Yeah, it's just educated guesses. Yeah, based on the news reports and things, isn't it? What's the theory that Underbelly's quite early on? I used to know all this, but I can't remember now. (laughs) We were just saying the intro shows them like panicking on the streets and running down into the subway. There's still plenty of people alive and panicking. And you find a um, the corpse of a police officer 
called Gene in the subway, and he has a note with the combination for his office desk, which you then unlock in Desperate Times. Yes. And Desperate Times takes place on the 27th, so Underbelly has to take place before then. We're just not sure exactly when. Quite like Underbelly as a scenario. It's, it's pretty cool. I wasn't quite sure about the rolling fleas. No, more the geography. It's a bit the, of a the, maze. Two, the two endings, isn't there? The, the two, two endings. endings. Oh. Two dramatically different endings, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you're nearly into a completely different scenario if you fail to get the train. Well, yeah, you've got to climb up that ladder, isn't it? And all that. It's like, oh, yeah, climb a massive silo. And then you find a, a street. I don't know what street. I think. Can you see the name of the street? Is there a sign? I think there is, yeah, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. Quick look, I'll see if I can grab it off YouTube, because it's, it's, tr- it's fun trying to piece all the geography together. Now, I just wanted to ask, when you guys play Outbreak, do you particularly play it with a group of others online, or can you still immerse yourself in that, playing it solo like you would remake? I've only ever really played it solo. The only times I've ever played it online, because I didn't have a broadband connection when it first came out or anything like that, the only times I've ever played it online is the Outbreak fan server. You've clearly got a huge amount out of it, and, and everything that you've found out that links back to previous games, particularly 2 and 3, you've been able to kind of access that and enjoy that and experience that on solo play. Yeah, I mean, I, I unlocked I think just about nearly everything for the first game, and like the SP files are quite good, because there's quite a lot of Easter eggs in there. Like I seem to think like in Desperate Times, for example, you can collect... Um, like a Barry Burton item or something, or okay. Chris Redfield marksman trophy or something. What was interesting about Underbelly, of course, is that we learned that not only does Raccoon City have its own tram system, uh, it also needs an underground subway system. Now, I don't know many cities that have both. Uh, certainly not a Midwestern US city that seemingly needs to have uh, an underground system, tram system, a main train line system, umbrellas underground train system all of which suggests this is a very mobile town but there we go <laughs> so i thought underbelly was a good scenario and it was quite a creepy and it felt like a just a, you know a normal underground station in that sense september 26th i've had a change of heart about the remaining survivors inside the precinct i've decided to hunt them down myself i shot ed in the back through the heart less than an hour ago I watched him writhe in pain upon the floor in a pool of his own blood. The expression on his face was positively exquisite. He died with his eyes wide open, staring up at me. It was beautiful. I wonder if the mayor's daughter is still alive. I let her escape so I could enjoy hunting her down. Later, I'm going to enjoy my new trophy. Yes, frozen forever in the pose I choose to give her. Moving on to September 26th, I think we've placed a hive happening here, which of course is the hospital scenario. So this is a good opportunity to talk about the hospital both now and in Resident Evil 3. They worked quite well together, I thought. Yeah, yeah, I would say the hive was my favourite scenario in Outbreak. I thought it was very atmospheric, probably better than Resident Evil 3, actually. And it's hugely respectful to Resident Evil 3 as well. Like I, I can't even think of um, one geographical error or anything. Mm. really it's really quite clever how they get around like the elevator security not allowing you access to the floors in three yeah and i thought the leech zombie you know scenario had its own little stalker enemy you were always on edge because you knew you only had a few minutes in each room before it turned up which i thought was yeah and it was a leech enemy that made more sense than zero being a man surrounded by leeches as opposed to a man of leeches 
And that would naturally make him a stronger adversary by virtue of the fact that you've got hundreds of other bioorganic weapons surrounding someone would make him very difficult to kill. It made a lot of sense. And I think he worked as a much better stalker than, say, Axeman did in... Oh, blimey, what's it called? Flashback. Flashback, thank you. It's Axeman. Was that the guy that's in Stoneville? The couple come across in like that sort of shack-type house. It's the woman injured and he has to walk them to the hospital. That's not in Stoneville. That's in the Arclay Forest. Okay. Is that Axeman, that guy? Okay. So by this date, we've got the UBCS have been sent in um, and other things. We, we don't need to delve too much onto that because obviously that's nothing to do with Raccoon City geographically. But it's interesting that the UBCS are sent in following on from Hunk's team. So yes. um, Umbrella are making quite a public appearance now. Yeah, trying to portray a positive image of civilian rescue and really they're sent in to be guinea pigs against the BOWs to test the combat data. Mm. But um, we've got a couple of observers that know this in Nikolai. Uh, he's become a bit of a uh, anti-hero in this series. And was it Tyrell? Was he another observer? Tyrell. Yes. Tyrell. And they had that, li- that little hideout in the park, which was pretty cool. They had like a map of the city, didn't they, with all the key locations highlighted? Yes, they did, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. They didn't plan on the gravedigger. No. No, they did not. They did not. It's risky for the monitors to do that. Obviously, they were aware of what they're going to come up against. Mm. And they weren't overly protected, I didn't feel. They relied on them being skillful on the playing field, but not necessarily well-equipped. But there we go. Okay, so now we're treading into uh, the main game scenario. We're up to the 27th. Just quickly, back with the hive, just a cool observation. That's a piece of geography that they get right. Oh, when, you, when you're actually on the roof in Outbreak, they actually get the direction of the forest correct. Do they? Yeah, if you catch one of the certain angles, you can actually see, as I think it looks out into like the northwestern direction, you actually do see like a big forestry area, which I just remember being back in the day was just like a really cool piece of detail. Oh, that's nice. And what's good about the hive, I suppose, leading into the next day is that it leads quite nicely into below freezing point. It's such a contentious issue, this, to the day. Do you think? I've always gone by this because of the letter you find. Uh, it's like a diary entry from a chief doctor, is it, where he says he has to use the boat in the sewers to get to the labs. Yep. But I know some people have had really, like, hugely contentious issues with it. It's not a clear run, is it, from that sewer straight to Berkham's lab. You've still got to negotiate quite a lot in order to yeah. get to the labs, admittedly. But we'll go back to what George says. It's the intention. It's the most likely progression, isn't it? Because you're not just going to go from, I don't know, say, for example, the police station to all of a sudden starting in the underground lab. No, I think it makes perfect sense. That, yeah, that diary I... entry is good enough for me to work. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So we've already touched upon below freezing point a bit, how that worked out quite nicely with the labs. I'm not sure if there's anything anyone wants to add. Monica was an interesting character. Obviously, she was trying to nick a G-virus sample. And I'm wondering if that was Umbrella wanting her to try and get a G-virus sample out because they thought Hunk was dead. Oh, that's possible, yeah. I don't know. Or she could be trying to sell it to someone else. We don't really know. It's never really elaborated on. I'll say this now because I don't want to end on a depressing note, but just particularly listening to stars talk about how accurately they recreated the hospital between Resident Evil 3 and Outbreak. Just hearing the level of consideration that Capcom had at that time for that consistency, it doesn't sound recognisable to the Capcom I know today, <laughs> does it? <laughs> but it's sad. It's really, and I was it, thinking, is, it is sad. And I was going to ask, I didn't want to interrupt Sean at the time, as he said that, I was going to ask, you know, who were the developers responsible at the time? Because I don't oh, think... I don't they... know, Rombie, we won for this. Yes. 
But the point is, they weren't the Resident Evil 3 developers, were they? Or So there was that change, but they still were able to go back to past games. So there's really no excuse that we always say, you know, maybe too many cooks for the broth and that there's no consistency of team. And that's why we've got all these inconsistencies. But, you know, there's no excuse, is there? They were doing it then with a different team. I'm sure the director of Outbreak had some time with the series prior, didn't he, Rob? No, the director of Outbreak uh... directed Resident Evil 6. I think it may have been also the production oversight and also the fact that at the time there was still kind of more of a uniform to the franchise because Mikami was still there and but the producer on the game was the producer of three and Code Veronica if I remember correctly so he probably had some sort of you know the existing history with the franchise that he wanted to see put forward when they were given the addictive to create an online game set in Raccoon City so and then they went on to reuse the assets from this for oh, I always forget which one of the Chronicles games it was, but obviously Umbrella, the, the Umbrella, thank you, yes. And so the idea was to try and keep a, perhaps a bit of consistency, but obviously eventually that just went out of the window. So below freezing point ends with them going up the freight truck. It's worth pointing out the entire lab is frozen at this point as well. Yes, yeah. But I went through the series and working out at what point should the freight elevator be up and down, and I think it does work. <laughs> I know, obviously, obviously from a practical level, but I think it does actually, because starting at zero, where it starts and then ends, and then I've got a funny feeling it does actually work, as if no one else has travelled on it. Kind of, because inside. below freezing point, they take the train out of the city. Exactly. So that kind of leads you to believe that they're going to flashback. Mm. Yes. As they end but up on the outskirts. Let's not beat around the bush, though. Flashback sticks out like a sore thumb. It does, in yeah. Outbreak. In the scenario, I mean, you've got a point where they have actually forcibly escaped the city. They've got past any resistance that was there, but then are seemingly held back by army snipers. But you only get that with one of the characters' epilogues. I think it's Mark, where he basically says they've run into army snipers who order them to turn around and head back into the city. But other than that, you don't get any explanation as to why they're suddenly back There's in the a, middle of town. A couple of them are like proper like Blair Witch style, you know, all roads, you know, led yeah. us back to the city. It's yeah. really weird. <laughs> The flashback hospital is not directly in the central city, though, is it? No. It's in the kind of, forest. It's in the it, forest, so it's, it's kind of... It's a shame, because when you play it as Alyssa, it's actually got one of the better storylines in the series, I think. I really love how the flashbacks integrate with the story, and you you know they jump in as you unveil what's happened there. It has a self-contained little story. I think it's wonderful. Again, I, I liked the story. I liked the plant element. Dorothy wasn't particularly exciting, but he had things like nightshade and poison ivy and all that. And you did feel, as you entered and all the plants just blocking you in, you felt, oh, crap. You know, that was quite good. The fact that when you read the files and you work out that there's been the virus outbreak since 1993 or something, as you said, it does stick out a bit. It does, yeah. I like the green zombie. I thought that was quite a nice variant on a zombie. Why wouldn't a zombie be taken over by the plants? That was quite a clever idea. And um, I like that. So good things there, good things. Yeah, so they're forced to go back into the city. Quite why they would, I don't know. I'd rather take your chances with a sniper. But there you go, that's just me. Take a look at this. It's a map of this place back when it was an art museum. There should be a ventilation tunnel on the ground. And that'll get us out of here? It should, but it's so narrow you might be the only one who can fit through. So I'll get help and come back, right? Looks like it's a race against time. Now that we've lost communications, there's nothing else we can do. All right, everyone. We've got to hurry up and find a way into that tunnel. It's going to be our way out of here. So while flashback was going on, the police station was getting attacked. 
these stories are told in the files of Resident Evil 2 and 3 through like the operation reports and stuff. And they fit perfectly with Desperate Times because if you read the files, it explains how the police station has effectively been split into two. And I used to know this really well, and I know we had a really good thread on Project Umbrella about where all the police were at a certain point. But obviously when you start Desperate Times, you've got Marvin Branner and the other officers in like the main hall and the east wing of the police station, and the west side is all sealed off. Is that where David Ford is? Yeah. He's the main narrator, isn't he, for yeah. those guys? I mean, it was obviously all coincidental, I think, but it all fits perfectly well, and this is the sort of thing that Remake 2 is just going to ruin, I think. <laughs> <laughs> We've finally got there. Yeah. yeah. Wait, how long are we in? Wow. <laughs> Over an hour? It will, though. It will. So, yeah, consistency. I mean, you've got to say that these things about other games in the series have done that just as well, so I can't disagree that that's likely to happen. Again, from Remake 2, I'd love to see... The fact that there's reference to the poison gas, as a, you know, somewhere along the lines, I'd like to see that you can move the statue. But is the poison gas canonical, or is it just a gameplay thing? There is a file, isn't there? I know. There is but a file. What police chief's gonna say? Let's combat terrorism by flooding the station with nerve gas. I don't know, the same police chief that, you know, taxidermy tigers in the office. I'll be happy with a mid-ground if they change it to some sort of tear gas or something, essentially. And that's gameplay element plus not so ridiculous to me. I was going to say about Desperate Times and the RPD scenario, it's to me has always felt like the core genesis of where this idea probably almost came from because it's the one thing that's probably the most connected with the original kind of that, that stage existing raccoon history where they went, oh, we're really interesting to see the perspective of that story of how the RPD siege was from other people. Mm. and as kind of the base because yeah I've always thought that was the case and that kind of probably expanded from there is the idea because I think it's the one that ties in as I recall anyway the most really specifically to at that stage a pre-existing game not that everything doesn't but it's the one that seems to be the most fitting remind me guys so you've got Marvin and Rita they're in the station at the minute looking for a way out at this point has the raccoon swat and everything fallen to the massive horde of zombies as per the three intro yeah That's already happened then. The three intro happens just after midnight on September 27th because the files tell us the UBCS was deployed on the 26th and you see them landed on the roof in the Resident Evil 3 intro as the police are sort of making the last stand. And you can get pictures from the journalists that say the police have made the last stand on the 27th. Of course you can, yeah. So, yeah, I would say the intro of RE3 happens probably just after midnight, going into the 27th, and then Desperate Times happens the following evening. Cause, yeah, because it's sunset, and yeah. that, again, that's that's really good detail, because the sunset is actually on the west side of the building. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it's really amazing. Just before you go into the building, you get a shot of, because the front doors to the station face south, and then the angle to the west, you can actually see the sun setting over there. Really? See, this is this is Capcom of the late nine, uh, sorry, early two thousands, and their detail. And I'm get... sure it's coincidental. <laughs> no, no, I think it's intentional. And you get a bit more Raccoon City's history, don't you? Because I think it's Desperate Times, which explains how the police station used to be like an old art museum. Yes. And they moved into it in the late 1980s or whenever it was. Which would explain the stupidity of the police station. Would you like to work for a police station like that? It makes sense. I think, you know, if, if it's an old building not being used, 
I was going to say, it's funny that you say that when in my original hometown, the uh, police station was this old brick building that started after being around for it was attached to the jail. And after being there for so many years, they decided we need to build a new complex. But at the same time, the building that the they were in had to be renovated. It was the courts and stuff and make room for more holding cells for the prison. So they went and moved into, I can't remember what it was, some sort of crazy old warehouse or old building somewhere else for about two years. And it was exactly like that. They just had to retrofit an, what, an existing building. Mm. And I guess if you do that sort of work immediately, you kind of realise, ah, well, we'll just, you know, if it's if it's good enough, then it works. It is a pretty crazy layout for a police station. Like you would think that you would have like down the steps immediately, no fountain, the reception area and stuff, and more waiting chairs and stuff. But everything gets obviously ushered off to the right as you enter and goes to the waiting area there instead. So, George, you'll like desperate times because, as you know, in outbreak there aren't any item boxes. Yeah. But you can still find the item box, and you can still push it, and you can climb on it, which, which is awesome. It's actually, yeah. it's actually a puzzle. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> yeah. Frustrating about why these sort of little things can't be done now. So there aren't any areas in Outbreak that you can only access with online partner. Can you access all areas? As all you're areas. Sure? Yeah. 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 Okay. And you know, in a lot of the games in there, there's only one continuity error really, and that is um, the upper waiting room, which is a save room in two, is all smashed and ruined. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas obviously it's before two, and in two it's all nicely back and intact. Mm. Yeah. Does that time with irons going a bit berserk though? No, but yeah, but then who would tidy it and put it back? That happens a few times because in the epilogue you see Marvin lock himself in the west office, and the main hall is full of blood and zombie bodies, and obviously it's all clean and pristine in Resident Evil 2. Yeah. So there's little things like that. There is a geographical error with the outside of the RPD that links in with Resident Evil 3. The sheds or the garages, I think. The, At the back so, of the... Yes. Isn't oil vents or something like that, the big silos or something. See, this is the thing. There's one of those continual issues about the area behind the RPD that's consistently inconsistent between 2, 3, and Outbreak. So they kind of just like chalk it up to that. Yeah. Because obviously yeah. the distance of the underground tunnels to where the uh, yards are that you play as Sherry in Resident Evil 2 couldn't appear as far as the way the Resident Evil 3 map is laid out behind the RPD. It's too close, yet it exists. Um, it makes it seem like it's only tens of metres behind the RPD. Yeah. It would be. And so I think it's just a continuation of those sorts of problems that they have at the back of the building. Is there an issue again with the garage underneath? Something to do with the parking ramp, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't fit, I think. Yeah. The direction, considering what you see at the start of the Resident Evil 2 scenario from that side. And the whole third floor of the station's missing from Outbreak as well. Yes. Not that you need to go up there in the scenario like, but the balcony from the main hall's just gone. The one that leads from the library to the clock tower, if, oh. if I'm remembering right. I do think that's an error that carries into Umbrella Chronicles as well, isn't it? Because they're using the same assets. Yeah. Mm. But interestingly, Umbrella Chronicles, they do actually put the save room, the uh, the waiting room, from two back to how it was. Yes, they do, yeah. <laughs> Someone was paying attention. <laughs> It all began as an ordinary day in September, an ordinary day in Raccoon City, a city controlled by Umbrella. No one dared to oppose them, and that lack of strength would ultimately lead to their destruction. I suppose they had to suffer the consequences of their actions, but there would be no forgiveness. Only they had had the courage to fight. It 
true that once the wheels of justice begin to turn, nothing can stop them. Nothing. It was Raccoon City's last chance, and my last chance. My last escape. Okay, so during this time, we've got a lot of backstory going on with Resident Evil 3, yes. Resident Evil 3 Part 1 starts with Jill making her final escape. We also know Leon's drunk at a party because he split up with his girlfriend, whoever that was. And somehow, so he knows he's going to be late for his first day as a police officer, but no one's told him that the shit has hit the van in the city. Equally, no one's told Claire Redfield. So obviously the um, the news is being quite well contained to people outside the Raccoon City sphere. I got, that to me that goes hand in hand with the fact that both of them were able to drive in so easily it wasn't really cordoned off. We know it had been. And we, yeah, well this is, yeah. Which also, I'm going to bring it in now. Stuff you, I'm going to bring it in now. That goes hand in hand with 4D Executor as well. Oh yeah, okay. And the, and the ending of 4D Executor. Uh, how they're able to drive off. Although, in order to... Um, Ensure that we never see the Cameron virus ever again. I assume they just they're driving off on October the second to get blown up, wrapping up that storyline. We'll come on to Fordy Executor because that that's interesting because it shows a completely different side of Raccoon City that you don't see in any of the games. I think Kawamura was asked about the barricades and he just said because most of the civilians were dead by this point, they started relaxing the barricades around the city, which left a few of the roads unmanned. Ah. Which is why, why is he not in charge of the series? I mean, seriously. Yeah, I mean, it's still a bit flimsy, but I suppose it's better than nothing. It's better than nothing, yeah. So, I suppose the first half of Resident Evil 3, we see a lot of new locations, uptown, downtown. Which is the um, wrong way around, isn't it? Isn't uptown the south part of the city, if I'm remembering correctly? Have yes. I got, have I got that wrong? It depends it's where you're looking. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, I know what you're saying. You, you go north into downtown. Doesn't really matter. You're just starting in uptown and working you with start. downtown. It's... I have always found the opening of Resident Evil 3 to be a, a bit too linear for my liking. And... It's, it's very abrupt, isn't it? I've always wondered if they had a bigger plan for the start at one stage and then dropped it for budget or timing reasons. Mm. Because obviously we know that the introduction movie itself was slightly altered because of the different slide images that people have pulled off the discs. There's some stuff relating to Jill and what's happened. Uh, different, different oh, images sorry, yeah. Aren't... I know yeah. what you mean, and where so you I've see always... the stars challenging Brian. Yes, and so I've always assumed that there was, not only was there just that, but there may have been a little bit more of an introduction planned for her, maybe a scene in her apartment that she was in, you know, that sort of stuff that may have just been dropped for time or budget or... I've always found that very weird that I'm sure we've talked about that on talked about the third game, but like the fact that she's just kind of hanging out while this is going on. She seems a much more proactive person than this mm. and every other medium that she's ever appeared in. And then she just hangs out until it's too late. The zombies are everywhere. Yeah. It's always like she's trying to get the perfect bit of evidence, but I'm not quite sure what she's after. It's in a yeah. diary, isn't it? She said she was staying behind to investigate Umbrella's lab. You would think at the point that it reached, say, probably the day before, maybe a day and a half before, you would kind of realise that potentially your safety of trying to get out of here is much more at risk than it was exactly. the previous. Yes. And the evidence. The only exception I potentially could buy to that is the idea that um, you know, she'd been up for a couple of days trying to find this research and evidence beforehand and then had just crashed and gone to sleep and then she wakes up prior to the events of what we see. But again, that's not really explained in any fashion. So again, why I've always theorised that maybe there was supposed to be more information in there that they just kind of accident. That's eh, not important. We just get her into the game. The rest doesn't matter. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I always found that the beginning part of it, though, a bit like the beginning of Resident Evil 2, it didn't feel like a normal city. It felt very, very claustrophobic. Uh, obviously, it's beneficial for the game, but that's not how a street would look, you know, when you're in the shopping district. I mean, it, it didn't look like a shopping district. It didn't look like a high street. All the streets were far too narrow. Yeah. That was to match and mimic the corridors of the mansion and to keep that claustrophobia, wasn't there? Sure. You know, that, uh, yeah. I was going to say the other part of it is in some ways you've got to look at it as like a training ground and a funneling system that kind of makes sure the player stays in a certain direction and mm. and obviously yeah. as you get you more used to the game the game starts to open up a bit more and that's a good point areas. I've criticised Resident Evil 5 and, and some of its predecessors for being too linear but do you think for that reason Rombie maybe I thought certainly that Resident Evil 3 is a lot more open than it actually is there are a few alternate paths in the, even the opening area depending on if you, if you go left or right different things happen and then again in different areas but i think it's just to show you kind of make you understand the mechanics set up a few things allow you to find the first kind of weapons and items you need and set up the story before you start progressing like the whole stuff with brad so i think it's all structured in a way that for a game it makes sense but i can definitely see the criticism that for the most part a large amount of that shopping area is narrowed down but some of it's tried to explain like one of the corners i think where the barrels are there's like cars and obviously it's a wider area it's just that it's been barricaded off a little bit and i don't think it's that bad but there's definitely parts of it you go well this is a very large number of very narrow alleys for for even any average city yeah. i think ways to get in and out of businesses and and so forth i think it definitely gives the illusion for that reason that it's a lot more open you almost feel like you can explore it a lot more than you do but you're, you know as you say you're just funneled down one particular road i think from what i remember though even like the stagler garage felt very away from anything and yeah the press office was you know it's like down a back alley it's almost squeezed through to get through that's a bit of an illusion yeah. though because of all the barricades and car crashes that and the, yeah, that's, the road. That's, that's what i was gonna say some of it is set up with barricades and stuff that isn't there and then there are obviously evidence that like the gas station obviously around it because you see the shot of it exploding would have streets and so forth it's just about they've closed it in someone had set it up as like a safe space obviously fail miserably and i think that's why a large amount of what it is it's like people trying to set up these little safe spaces and barricade from stuff trying to come in and, and or funnel little walkways that allowed them to get between say buildings that didn't get attacked or it's, it's weird but it's understandable because like the umbrella pharmacy for example in the game it makes it feel like you can only access it via a back alley when you put the fire out but if you actually look at the map, there's a main road leading right to it, which is the road where the gate is tied and you have to burn the rope off with the lighter. Yeah. But obviously you can't walk straight down it because that road's barricaded. Mm. So the game gives you the impression that, yeah, it's like hunkered down a back alley in the middle of nowhere, but it's not. It's just because of the roadblocks and whatnot. Mm. If you look at the map, not the in-game map, but the map in the archives book with all the street names and that, it does, it corresponds perfectly. I think with Operation um, Raccoon City, excuse words, but they kind of like took it to the other extreme and had a huge open areas for the purposes of their gameplay. So it's almost the opposite of Resident Evil 3. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like it was almost too ridiculous at the other end. It's like there isn't really much in the way of barricading between people with blocks and doorways and so forth. But it's like it's kind of extreme. I mean, I never disliked the Resident Evil 3 version, but I've always thought it would be a really amazing game to play. Kind of a semi-open world 
title that kind of didn't always funnel you down these things that allowed you to kind of hey there's a barricade on a window and i need to get through here i can smash the wards out of this window and make a shortcut through this building and you know come across the occasional open road or bits that weren't barricaded in and so forth i kind of equate it to like if resident evil 3 met zombie the ubisoft game if you could do that with a resident evil game but maybe in the third person it would be quite fun like i thought that'd be quite a good idea you never know we might be getting out with the remake you know what if that happens that's a positive to the remake for me if, if they expand that starting part with resident evil 2 make it a little bit more open and get you in and around areas a little bit more rather than constantly using just underground tunnels to smaller areas i'm completely fine with that and same yeah. with if they remake three as well eventually because two does well again i'm happy with that idea it just expands the universe okay so is there any other parts of the beginning part of resident evil 3 that of raccoon city that we should really talk about the clock tower really that's and that was a quite a major area and again i think for me it felt very reminiscent of how the rpd was the structure of it correlated quite well and you sense that they were if not built at the similar time but architecturally reminiscent of one another yeah so, i agree with that there's a postcard isn't there saying it's like one of the biggest tourist attractions for the city yes yeah yeah I think in Resident Evil 3 they could have expanded upon the clock tower a bit more. I know it was a hub area, but I don't remember it lasting too long in the game. There's a nice subplot in the files of a UBCS team hunkered down there. Yes. Because that's the evacuation point, isn't it? And you see yes. the, the corpse yeah. of the soldier with the girl in his arms. That also always confused me because it's like, it added a bit more personal story, but it's like it isn't conflicting matter to some of the other UBCS mm. stuff going on out and of course, we know Jill spends quite a long time there. She kind of sleeps through the events of Resident Evil 2. Conveniently. Yeah. <laughs> so Resident Evil 2 then starts. We have Leon and Claire able to arrive in the city without any questions being asked. Sir Guy Vladimir turns up in his helicopter. He does, and drops an A tyrant on in the RPD, and all the others go off to the uh, dead factory, which is a shame, because we could have had more. But there we go. And I suppose I'm not sure how much Resident Evil 2 we can talk about. By virtue of the outbreak scenarios, we've actually talked about most of the kind of geographical areas, aside from maybe the sewers. Chief Iron's little torture room that links into the sewers, and that explains how he's been getting to and from Birkin's lab without anyone noticing he was missing from the police station. Yes. Yes, that weird where we fight Baby G. Mm. That whole sewer connected section works really well, again, narratively for the game's purpose and you know, for the kind of system with the two A and B scenarios but it doesn't never has worked properly map wise to the way the city's supposedly laid out it's just one of those weird things mm. yeah I can't imagine it would be corrected in any way unless they're looking at the bigger scale or unless they're immediately going if we're going to remake 2 we're going to remake 3 or you know heaven forbid they change it to a remake of 2 and 3 together I doubt that yeah I would say they have because you can't have a remake of 2 where they're going to drastically redesign the police station for example and then go back to the old version of Resident Evil 3, which is supposed to take place at the same mm. location and have a police station that's completely different. I think they've been developing both of them together. Won't that um, interfere with Umbrella Chronicles? Oh yeah, but then this is the thing I don't. I think anything that comes from a remake is going to circumvent those stories in the end because they're the newer version. It tends to be the when you Capcom does that, they do that, take the newer version. I don't disagree that perhaps they are working on both of them, but uh, but I definitely say if they're not and three remake came after two, obviously they would take that consideration of what they've changed in two before to match whatever they make of the new version of three. Mm. But I think it's exactly the same, essentially, as what 3 was to 2 originally, as far as the RPG parts are concerned. But then Outbreak, but certainly Desperate Times would seem a bit out of place. To be this honest, is, this is the problem. 
I don't think the Outbreak games are going to be considered when it comes to this remake, unfortunately. No, no. I agree. But even if they are, maybe in the end the justification is saying, look, hey, the layout may have changed slightly or these elements have changed, but these scenarios still took place, exactly. There's no reason for most of them anyway to have not been able to take place. The one that's probably obviously at the biggest risk is anything related to stuff that you do see in two specifically, like the labs and the RPD and the hospital. Yeah, they'll be at risk to Birkin's lab as well. Yes, so, yes. It'd be very risky to change... Certainly the marshalling yard bit, which has been represented in, what, three games? I think so. There's certain areas that the remake really has to hit properly. And I think the RPD is obviously one of them. The marshalling yard is Mm. another. I was going to say, like Bat suggested, unless they're planning on doing basically a Raccoon City remake in 2, 3. To me, that makes sense. Like, I totally agree with it as an idea. If you're going to remake 2, you might as well remake 3. And it seems like a bigger effort, haha. But, you know, that's a whole story into itself. Those two, all those scenarios, you might as well do that entirely. Do it justice and then release it because 3 ends up being the last game not remastered or remade for anything, whereas everything else has got you know either an hd equivalent now you know everything from code veronica is at least at an hd level so you know mm. it, it makes sense it makes complete sense but whether or not capcom wants to put that effort in or even if they do that they don't, don't want to try and you know well it's more profitable if we release two games rather than one game you know like or uh, we do resident evil 2 as a physical release and release three later as a dlc you know mm. something like that after that claire set out alone to find her brother and Sherry and I were rescued by U.S. government agents. We have the authority to do as we please with you. You and that girl. Just leave her out of this. She's an innocent. An innocent who carries the G antibody. Don't worry. We're taking very good care of her. Bottom line is, you have the experience we're looking for. So if you want this to end peacefully, you really have only one choice. Work for us. Okay, so by virtue of our other discussion of Outbreak, we kind of touched on everything Resident Evil 2 has to offer in terms of Raccoon City. Um, background storyline with regards to Ron Davis and the, the Senate decision. At the end of Resident Evil 2, the government have now got the G-Virus because of Sherry Birkin. So yep. Simmons tries to push through the sterilisation operation to destroy the city just to stop Umbrella getting the G-Virus using the cover story of destroying the city to destroy the biohazard. Obviously, he remains unaware that Hunk is still alive and he gets the G-Virus out because his mission takes place on the same day as Leon and Claire escape the city. Yeah, and we've also got other things going on with Umbrella. The Nyx Project... Yes. Which will probably never be mentioned again. The backstory to that was going to be explained in Outbreak File 3, because the suggestions Rodriguez's team were sent in to find out what happened to Hunk, and for whatever reason, Rodriguez has turned traitor and stolen the Nyx. Um, and as a reminder to everyone, Nyx is a... No one really knows, just a blob. Yeah. Not one of the best designed tyrants. But meanwhile, we've got Greg Muller working on the uh, Thanatos tyrant and the murder of Peter Jenkins once he develops the daylight vaccine. It's all going on. The thing I was going to say in regards to Outbreak and this stuff is, and I always constantly see the arguments about that, the scenario placements and all that sort of stuff, is the one issue I've always had with Outbreak, and I don't know how you guys, I know you guys are Outbreak friends, I don't know, is, let me add this as well, the future retconning almost of, like, Simmons and all that sort of stuff, it's like, Raccoon City became a lot more overly complicated than perhaps it ever needed to be, if that makes sense. Like, instead of what I all thought 
the original release of Outbreak was going to be was about a bunch of survivor stories. It ended up adding like quite a lot of like nitty gritty details that perhaps in some ways are good, but in other ways are way too overly complicated <laughs> for what they are as well. Yeah, in some ways I'm glad we never got the other planned ten scenarios for Outbreak because there would have just been too much going on. There would have been no way to keep track of it all. Yeah. It's bad enough at the moment. Well, these survivors have gone through bloody hell. I think the only way it works is if you split up the groups into two lots of four. Four of them experience end of the road, another four experience decisions, decisions. That's how it works. But yes, if there's another Ted, there would have inevitably been another scenario at the end of three facing off against you know, the destruction of the city. Equally as difficult to kind of go, you know, there's a group of two there or something. It would have been... That's just how we got around the... I don't know who invented that idea, but that's just how we got around the Hellfire outbreak. Mm idea happening at the same time yeah i mean that's the thing is that on a character level you know it was obviously quite a complication how to make sure that all the scenarios kind of fit but then again you, each scenario ends up adding more players outside actors to the situations it adds potential complications in regards to viruses and companies and all that sort of stuff and then all the games that have been post these games that have obviously considered the raccoon city outbreak as part of the very main important story have obviously added their own twists and elements to it expanding certain backstory and back characters and that sort of stuff and in some ways it's kind of nice that they very really now go back to it because it's got to that point where it's got anything more is more, more complicated and in some respects I'm actually almost concerned that that's another issue that weighs quite heavily on the remake of 2 mm. essentially in order to make that fit more modernly now they have to make sure there's these connective hints to stuff that originally came later so that you understand that oh well actually now 2 does have a connection to say the backstory of 6 Mm-hmm. You know, and that is slightly concerning about how they'll to try and justify that. Which is a shame because as we go back to seven, you know, that the subtle use of HF worked so wonderfully well, as opposed to suddenly go, you know, first you had Sir Guy being uh, shoehorned in, that felt awkward that he was in the match at the same time as you were or someone was, and you know, degeneration putting in Ron Davis, that worked, I think, and then as so Simmons, it all, as you say, a bit convoluted, a bit unnecessary. Mission accomplished. The survival rate was 4%, and valuable human resources were lost. But that is war. The mission objective takes priority over everything else. Holding to that principle is why I have never failed a mission. The death cannot die. So we now move on to October the 1st. Obviously, we've got a hell of a lot going on. We've already touched on the Dead Factory quite a bit of happening in Resident Evil 3. End of the road, we've talked already about the commercial headquarters, as I've called them, in Outbreak 2. Um, Outbreak 1, of course, gets the lovely Raccoon City University. It's a great location. It is a great location. I'm annoyed because, for me, it's the hardest scenario in Outbreak. I cannot do it because I refuse to work with the AI because it's just the abomination of everything. It's near impossible. And I I just run out of time. I just always die because of the well, stupid the AI go off and do one of the quest items you need yeah. and they always always set to meet you in a specific place I can't do it I just die all the time the few times I've played there they would meet me in the place and then be stubborn about giving me the damn item <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, but thanks for getting the item that you will now not give me. It's such a bust. I mean, I love the scenario. I think it, it almost feels like a Resident Evil game in itself. It's sort yeah. of so well put together. But it is heartbreaking when you get to the end and get fucking killed. And you've just literally wasted like an hour of your life. It's not too bad. I mean, I've got the American version and you can't actually save your progress. 
I'll tell you what, um, I, what I find strange about that scenario is when you get down to the docks and it feels like you're on the coast of like a massive lake, and it shark. It's got to be, uh, it's got to be the, the circular river or whatever it's called that runs through town. But it looks like. You, know. you can see the other side though, can't you? Yeah, but it's, absolute, it's absolutely huge. Massive river. It's like the Hudson River. Yeah. Are we suffering from the lake effect of Resident Evil 4 that can magically hold a battleship? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, this circular river houses a great white shark. Of course it does. Escapee, wasn't it, from somewhere? Let's call it a zoo. So that waterway where Umbrella got its sharks for experimentation to begin with or something? I don't know. You, you mentioned the zoo. You mentioned the zoo, which is the obvious port, but there is, just doing a bit of research for the quiz um, on this, someone has drawn, based on Bracken City Zoo, the zoo map, because the, right. it, there is a picture, and I don't think there's sharks. So I don't quite know where the Neptune comes from. In yeah. um... Nick, here's the thing: it's the same Neptune. The explosion uh, at the mansion propelled <laughs> it out, and it landed in the <laughs> It wasn't killed originally in the game, and it managed to be projected yeah, exactly out of the explosion, and was still alive, <laughs> wholly untapped. Sorted. Well, it, it feels like we're about one game away at times from the sort of Sharknado style level of ridiculous. So yeah, let's just embrace it. <laughs> That's the thing about File 2 in particular, especially. It was just literally like, what sort of creature can we add the virus to and make giant and creepy? And they're like, oh, there'll be a zoo in Raccoon City. That's a great idea, because then we can add so many new animals with their infected. <laughs> There's obviously certain decisions made for that sort of thing. Yeah. But I remember back in the time, because obviously there'd been, most of the games obviously had their oversized animal enemies, or infected animal enemies anyway. Yeah, I remember a friend of mine playing it and going, it's just like, they're just running out of ideas now. Of like, we're we can't create new creatures as much, so let's just infect a bunch of animals and make them really vicious and all weird or oversized. <laughs> Gigabytes. So, yeah, fair enough. Isn't there, a, on a different mode, if you play Decisions, Decisions, the only enemies in there are the Scissor Tails? Or is no, that that's different? Outbreak. That's the first scenario. Oh, is it? Uh, play it in hard or very hard, all the zombies become the Scissor Worms, yeah. It's a bastard. Just going back to the geography, one of the routes you can take in Decisions Decisions links to the tower that you escape from in Underbelly. So it's connected to the subway system, ah. which is quite interesting. I'm sure I've read somewhere that the waterway was supposed to be then connected to another scenario in Outbreak 3. Possibly, yeah. I'm not sure. You think I'm reckless? Don't. You stole a computer core from your own company. I wouldn't exactly call that stable. <laughs> the people who go down in history as its heroes are never stable. Inside UMF-013 is all of the research data. With that, Umbrella will rise from the ashes. final area of contention and I did have some comments about people want to discuss the aftermath of the explosion we have slightly contradictory ways of the city was blown up from the outbreak games using the angel bombings which was kind of multiple bombings as opposed to the singular nuclear detonation that went off and I'm not quite sure why they did that no I don't know either it is baffling I think because they needed to think about the sort of impact they wanted to have what sort of actually wiped off the map it was i've always kind of argued this in the past as well. if it's a singular nuclear blast 
it would heat destroy and blast away all the rubble but it wouldn't make a massive crater in the ground as much because well it would be a near impact but it wouldn't make the sort of massive hollowed out canyon that they kind of wanted whereas obviously if you had a large scale missile blast that's over a much larger area you'd end up creating a much uh, bigger hole in the ground you would essentially dig the whole thing out and i think that's what it comes down to is that they decided they wanted the visual appeal of this massive canyon essentially that has wiped the entire region off the map Mm. there was a a couple of talk and theories that the angels came in first then the single one came that's how you get around featuring both there's an airstrike initially and then a nuke but you'd have to question what the point of the airstrike is if they're going to drop a nuke Unless it was a single stage, the bomb drop didn't work the way they went, so they went, well, we have to go to plan B, and it's the only option is the nuke, you know. But again, it's just inconsistent overall. If if there was a drop of that scale, why wouldn't you hear or see any of it in the events of 3, for example? Because, you know, you would obviously know that there was another bomb drop before the blast went off. And this is really frustrating because we've talked quite at length at how good the detail is in Outbreak, you know, and how respectful they are to the geography and, and whatnot. And yet something as as important as how it's destroyed is one of the biggest grey areas of Raccoon's story. And it is really frustrating. I think maybe one of the considerations is just like maybe they thought that the way it was done in 3 was perhaps just a little bit overkill. Like, And it also made no sense. I mean, we've always had this discussion about the fact it's like, well, a nuclear blast just went off or something that should have at least put out a, a, a charge wave. There's no way a helicopter could fly out of it without being down. Like, those <laughs> sorts of elements, you know, like, it's probably those considerations go, maybe that was a, perhaps not exactly the way it would have actually been handled. It would have been handled in an explosion, but it may have been this, and they kind of tried to you know, semi-retcon it a little bit. Yeah, and I suppose another argument of having the angels come in first, then the bomb, is that they would have obviously targeted places like the RPD, you know, as a known place where there were umbrella secrets if they wanted to just quickly eradicate them, and you didn't see that in the bomb you could see it was clearly standing before the explosion in three yeah Yeah. exactly that's the problem but then the interesting point of course is that after outbreak two umbrella i think umbrella or someone then sets up a base in the remains of raccoon city it's a government Mm. the government yeah sets up a base so if it was nuclear they wouldn't well it's not a nuclear bomb it's a experimental thermobaric bomb they make a big deal of it not actually being nuclear oh okay but when's that mentioned this is the thing it's not in three is it it's it's no. later yeah yeah this is where my idea about them trying to kind of change what it looked like because in three it's it's nondescript they said they're just going to destroy the city and you see the thing that looks kind of like a nuclear blast Mm. and kind of just leave it at that but I think they just decided later they were like we need to explain this better and something that obviously yeah it doesn't leave a massive crater destroys everything in sight but isn't like toxic yeah yeah. Again, it just links to this thing because the government's relationship with Umbrella is over and the government start their own biological weapons program and this is what links into Simmons and Carla Radame and the development of the C-virus and all that sort of thing. Mm. So that's that's the biggest legacy of Raccoon City really is how Umbrella and the government are forever fractured. Well, that and obviously the Raccoon City incident itself is always used as an example of an event that happened that's in public knowledge that's yeah. you know, constantly throughout the series. You know, the Raccoon City incident is a very wide-scale public yeah. affair. So those two things, I think, are the, probably the real mainstays. Hmm. 
Mm. We also note Curtis Miller's family die in the blast. Mm. And Mera Bidji's parents are also killed. She's the BSAA agent in Mahara Desire. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Have we got any news of Mahara Desire this week, Nick? No, no, no. All, <laughs> all quiet, all quiet, all quiet. Uh, we know Ada obviously escapes Raccoon City thanks to her rocket-propelled lipstick and grappling hook of... <laughs> Why? You bastard, why? Actually, Death's Door is quite useful because it, we can use that to talk about generally the town. Um, I think in Death's Door you walk on a signpost or there is a signpost telling you the population size. 100,000, isn't it? Yes. Which is one of my massive bugbears. So a population of 100,000 is not massive. You obviously know this from numerous towns throughout the UK that are about 100,000. Mm. Now, could you imagine the number of facilities and requirements that a town population of only 100,000 or so would require as opposed to how much is actually shown in Raccoon City and then what's implied depending on the differing variations of the town itself. In some cases, it has obviously large numbers of high-rise buildings. In some versions, it, you know, it has just smaller buildings and, and looks like a small town, but then we've got a subway and a cable car and you know, multiple large hospitals a quite a large extensive police force with its own SWAT team <laughs> uh, you know like well a specialised SWAT team not just a SWAT team which implies this is a large scale city it's never been consistent but to, to definitely put a number of only 100,000 on it is tiny that's like a town that's not a city at that there, rate I think there's another source for it being 100,000 because um, I'm sure in the translation of Darkside Reports in the tiny little paragraph it, it refers to Raccoon City a midwestern town of 100,000 I can check the translation I'll look for it now I think there's a few sources I think it's in archives and Umbrella Chronicles as well oh okay I won't check I thought one way was saying that was the only one it also goes back to it has a university I, I don't know the yeah. US education system that well but I'm not quite sure a, a city like that would need it there is a high school as yeah. well that's well, in the map sorry, I'll counter the university thing you can have towns where you have a university that's small because you put the university in a location which is accessible to say a region but it's the place that the students go to live and generally when you have university your population swells by a certain percentage while the university year is in session and I can say that for absolute certainty because my hometown the population is about 100,000 and when the students are all there it goes up to about 125,000 hmm. like it actually increases that much because of the number of students it's a university town so Again, that's like one of the real mainstay examples to me that's always been a bugbear because I can totally understand why that population should be much bigger given all the amenities in that city, given the university. And you've got to think as well, like how many times was uh, Raccoon City touted as like the home of Umbrella? Like that's what it's always quite often registered as. So for a township that has such a large number of people and it's employed for such a large pharmaceutical company, it makes no sense that it would only be 100,000 either. You would definitely see a population size around that base of such a huge company probably being much much bigger hmm. would it have its own football team or a stadium not at a hundred thousand probably i know college football is quite big in america hmm. but a zoo <laughs> quite a big zoo at that you know it's all, um... i'm trying to look at american midwest cities it just, this is just purely for the point of pointing this out that have populations of around a hundred thousand so currently so this was an example was in michigan flint that you'll know well from all the media that's ever covered. It has a population of about 102,000. Let's have a look at another one. Uh, Fargo, North Dakota, 105,000. 
but you've got to think like places like Flint have gone through a lot of downturn through, you know, at one stage the population of Flint was probably much, much higher. And it would be maybe an equivalent kind of city thing at some stage when it was at its peak, because obviously when there was all the auto manufacturing, obviously a large amount, it was probably much, much high population. Go back to kind of 4D Executor as well. You see, I mean, the part in 4D Executor is because you get quite a lot of aerial shots of the crow flying and it's total like derelict industrial area which you do not see at all in the games potentially close to the marshalling yard I don't know if it's on the outskirts but it kind of indicated it was quite close to the I'm going to use Flint as a good example because obviously it had General Motors there as like a big you know, car manufacturer in the 1960s the population was apparently according to the census data was 196,940 people so you're looking at almost half the population that it used to be and that's quite a large city. So it's, I would say for a place like that, what Raccoon City is supposed to be, I'm thinking probably in excess of 250 to 300,000 probably would have made more sense. Definitely not 100,000, not for everything that's in that city. And it's the one thing I wish Capcom would nail down is like, go, look, hey, the city had to be consistent and we're going to start showing more of it. Why not come up with you know, more specific? Well, again, maybe in Remake 2, it'll suddenly be a lot bigger and the population will be a lot higher. So we can only hope. We can. <laughs> Maybe that won't even be in consideration at all. Who knows, who knows. Uh, oh, blimey. Um, the, the lasting impact, it's, it's certainly still seen as the pinnacle, if you like, of bioterrorism around the world. Although you can't help but feel that it's been somewhat overshadowed a bit by what happened in RE6. And Terra Grigia. Yeah. Yeah. I would say. As well, yeah. And Vendetta, I suppose. And then, yeah, New York. I think it's, like you say, it's the catalyst. So it's like, it is the focal point because it's where it all began. When you do a chronological series playthrough, like we did a few years ago, it definitely feels like the hub of the series. You know, when you actually get to the main city events in Outbreak 2 and 3, you're there for a lot of time. And it carries with it a kind of momentum that I don't think the series ever truly gets back. Yeah. That's part of the problem. It's, it's such an important event that they obviously want to revisit it and return to it as much as possible. But in doing so, kind of the more they return to it, and this is kind of what I was getting at before, it kind of diminishes its impact and makes it more convoluted. And so there's this very fine balance yeah. between kind of like revisiting it because it's a good reason and revisiting why it's bad. And of course, also then the destruction element makes that much more harder because it only gives a certain condensed time frame of really about a week to really get into the meat of it. I think Capcom backed itself into a corner. You talk about the convolution that's occurred because, you know, it's kind of gone back and revisited it and tried to sort of realise itself within that city. What if Resident Evil 4, you know, if Capcom had taken the plunge and we'd had another trilogy of Resident Evil 4, 5 and 6 that had taken place not necessarily in, in another city and had another kind of generic outbreak, but just a, another geographical location like Star says, because I agree, you know, it feels like very much the hub of the first three games. And, you know, if they'd taken that plunge and we'd had four, five and six with different games, but all with effectively the same hub, then, you know, it could have been quite different. I totally agree with that because this is the problem, and we've talked about this before, is this means of escalation that every event has to be bigger than the event of previous. Yeah. No longer are we building on the thing, you know, it's one virus outbreak threatened to another. I mean, to a certain degree, 4 is relatively self-contained, and there's nothing, I don't think anyone could really complain about it. Like, it opens up a new, essentially, a strain, essentially, through the Plaga, but it was relatively self-contained, but 
then when you get to five, it's like it's being used in Africa, and then in six, it's like it becomes a massive global scale. And they just went way too big, way too fast, and by just trying to throw it. And then, yeah, as you were saying, like Raccoon City, as big as it is, and as horrible as obviously the events are portrayed, seems small time almost by comparison to some of the events that they've done since because of this concept of having to escalate. The one thing that they kept doing as well was like adding who was on the panel who destroyed the city. So, I mean, like, let's run through some names. You've got Ron Davis. He's attributed some blame, isn't he? You've got Derek Simmons. Didn't Adam Benford have something to do with it? I don't think he's mentioned, but he's the guy who recruited Leon at the end of Resident Evil 2. So are these like the board on the government? Well, there's like a special committee, but I think Simmons and Ron Davis are the only actual people mentioned. Before they were involved, what was the history known of why it was bombed to begin with? Ignoring what was added later, what was the original explanation? It was just the epilogue for Resident Evil 3, yeah, containment, that the government decided to bomb it, to contain the outbreak. Bomb it. But going back to the interviews with Carol Moore, it was always in his scenario that there was this cloak and dagger stuff with the government that the city was actually destroyed to stop Umbrella getting the G-Virus. But obviously yeah. that none of that's shown in the game. So the intention for the conspiracy element was always there, but on the surface for those who just played the game, it was, yeah, it was just containment. But it makes sense. Like, I, I don't have any problems with the, the idea of some cloak and dagger and some manipulation going on, because I do think that makes it much more interesting. But I just think it's the way that it's been handled since, like, as I was saying, it's just gotten more and more convoluted, because exactly as you're saying, like, you're trying to rattle off who actually, what names are listed there involved. Like, it's still left really, not unclear, but, like, just... Missy. Yeah, I think the the link with Ron Davis in Damnation was an awkward one, really, because he doesn't really have any connection to Raccoon City, and then they just suddenly announce out the blue, oh yeah, he was the one who'd voted to bomb the city, and it's like, well, you know, it was just such a random connection at the time, because that doesn't really have anything to do with what's happening in Degeneration. It was like they just wanted to get a reference into Raccoon City, another reference into yeah, Raccoon exactly. City. Yeah, exactly. I thought it was Curtis Miller wanting revenge on him. Yeah, but it just seemed a bit random, because Senator Davis was the local senator for uh, Harvardville, and he was a stockbroker in Will Farmer, and it just seemed a bit random when they suddenly said, oh yeah, he elected to bomb Raccoon City. Well, the only thing that it could say is, like, what maybe is really poorly explained or like in you know the Japanese outline originally when they were writing this, the backstory for it was this idea that US government actually had a senate vote for whether or not they should bomb uh, emergency senate vote and it was maybe say like he was one of the people who voted to bomb it or his vote was the deciding vote overall because you know he was the last one to vote for some reason or whatever then that might have made sense but maybe yeah. it was like that because there is some files in umbrella Chronicles, I think, where it says Oswell Spencer used his political influence in the Senate to delay the city being bombed. Which thematically makes sense, because a company the size of Umbrella would obviously have pockets mm. in government in order to put through policy and, I mean, it's just like real life, you know, they're paying certain amount of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, lobbying, lobbying. So they'd have lobbyists working for them on the side of pharmaceuticals and drug tests and virus trials and all that sort of stuff. Stuff that would allow them to get bills passed. And, and so in a real world concept, that works perfectly fine to say that, that obviously someone who's in charge of a large pharmaceutical company probably does have certain influences on politics in the United States. So I don't find that a large leap whatsoever. Mm. I agree with your point, though, about Raccoon City being too convoluted. When a new writer comes on now to write Resident Evil 8 or whatever, and he's new to the series, or he's new to Capcom, and he thinks, right, I need to use a story. So he picks his characters, and then he looks at the history, and he thinks, fucking hell, 
you know, the series is so convoluted now, where the hell do I start? So I know I'll just write something completely original with a new virus, and as a safety net, I'll put in a reference to Raccoon City. But isn't that yeah. what they did with Seven, really? I was just about to say that's yeah, what they did with Seven. Seems, yeah. yeah, but they do that with a lot of titles, don't they? And with the exception being Revelations 2, where they actually mention Terra Grigia. I think it's used as a safety net, because the series is so convoluted, and instead of risking retcons and plot discrepancies, the like, right, we'll just mention the Raccoon City incident. Or if it in the one try and logically link backstory that was unseen, which doesn't heavily impact stuff we have seen too much, like Simmons is a good example, where they can say, well, that makes sense for this character to have this sort of power and control, so we can have him at shadow background involved in previous incidents. So, and the same with Wesker. Wesker was exactly the same. Let me pitch a scenario to you then, guys. You know, and I just want your honest opinions. I'm not trolling or anything like that, people at BioAs, before you fucking start. I know you're listening. <laughs> um, Resident Evil 2 Remake comes out, and it changes a number of details, possibly even messes around with some dates, things like that. Going forward, what becomes canon? Because with the remake of the original game, we assume that the remake is the canon. But say Resident Evil 2's remake changes some of the geography of the city, changes some street names, well, you know, all the little details that we're sort of scrutinising in a big way here. What then becomes the new canon for people? Because, you know, I know what people will say, well, you can't choose the remake for the first game, but then choose the original for the second. It's it's such a fucking mess it's potentially going to be. This is why I get annoyed when I whinge about remake when people say, oh, well, you can just play the original game. You well, can't, we're dealing with storyline, aren't you we? You can't in many respects, because the, ori- the original game is being made invalid, because Capcom will take the remake and its portrayal of Raccoon City and the events as canon going forward. Even if it's not canon, if they reference something again in the future, it's more likely to be off the back of the most recent iteration, regardless. Like, and yeah. I know I totally agree with that. The only thing that kind of is a saving grace is the same thing that saved Remake to a certain extent, is that obviously only certain stuff is canon part and we always always have those debates about which paths in Resident Evil 2 are the canon paths. You know, is it Leon A and Claire B? Is it Claire A and Leon B? Or is it a combination of all scenarios? You know, those sorts of things that have always gone on. So I can only assume at the end of the day, the only defense you're ever going to get is like, even with the remake, is it's like, well, it picks and chooses its elements and therefore you can choose to ignore certain things if they don't really line up. And that's really the only defense you're only ever going to have. It's the same with remake as well. Like, you go, oh, they added all the stuff and, you know, how all the characters survive doesn't, isn't obviously shown in any of the scenarios, but they did because other games showed us they did. There's big assumptions there. There's big assumptions that they're going to do an A, B scenario again. I can't uh, imagine they wouldn't. If they didn't do an A, B scenario like the original, I think it would be missing kind of the point of what was one of the biggest impacts about what Resident Evil 2 worked, which is kind of the zapping system and the multi-character thing that was such a big impact. The only other way they could do it that would make sense is if the game is a narrative situation where you jump back and forth between characters. It's, it's going to have to be either or, which essentially still is an A and B scenario, whether or not there's four of them. In terms of the story, I mean, in Resident Evil 7, we've had HCF reintroduced for the first time since Code Veronica. And you're getting all this stuff with Blue Umbrella and they've come about because of this secret antivirus research Wesker was doing, which this company... Uh, this uh. company... I won't get into it, but this... <laughs> I'll just... It's, it's, pick, it's, pick, it's, it's, it's picking up a plot point from Resident <laughs> Evil 4, but you know this plot point was born essentially during the events of Resident Evil 2 with Ada, and obviously the original game doesn't elaborate on it at all, and I'm wondering if they're going to use Remake 2 as an opportunity to tie it into 7 by explaining the background of this company and explaining the background to Ada. Could be, could be an opportunity. 
I think if they do, it'll be the basis of only adding more hints. It won't be more explanation. It'll be more hints and more questions because mm. they want to save that sort of information potentially for another game that doesn't exist because they know that putting all those answers in, in this remake of two is not the answer. I was just going to say, I've not followed a lot about Blue Umbrella because it treads too much into Umbrella Corpse and I tend to black that <laughs> from my mind. Um, as far as I know, if you've only played the games and read the files... The existence of Blue Umbrella is completely unknown to you at this point. Yes, unless you have an obsession with guns yeah. and airsoft guns. I mean, that's what I just still that's can't get my head around. That, ridiculous. That all that information. Really. I know, but that's because Not a Hero was delayed. Not a Hero yeah. should have come out at the same point, time yeah, as right. the airsoft yeah. gun. Yeah, I was about to say that. I think it's all tied into what you... That's okay, then. I'll hold judgment, then. I just that, uh, you know, people talk about it as being absolutely canonically fact. You, you never know. They might just scrap it all. Yeah, it might be one of the reasons why it's delayed. You don't know. It might all change yet. We'll know in three months. Going back to the, the city then, now, let's get the elephant out of the room. How did uh, you guys really enjoy the you know very unique, interesting Raccoon City and then watch it being hilariously dumbed down in Orc? <laughs> it, it sort of goes back to a point Romby was making before. In Resident Evil 3, you go down back streets and you find like a tiny little cinema playing Biohazard 4 next to like yeah. a run-down cafe in Orc you come across City Hall, which is absolutely huge, mm. and there's like a massive cinema across the road advertising a week-long film festival. You know, it's just completely unrecognisable to what you're used to and what the city was originally portrayed as. Remember when you got to the hospital for the first time and, it, you know, you're quite excited initially because you think, oh, this is going to be really cool if they remade Resident Evil 3 and uh, it's a completely different, considerably more generic hospital. Yeah. You already had that tip off as soon as you went to quote unquote Birkin's lab. It's just it was so disappointing. Like I say, the only time it gets any of the geography correct is two rooms of the um, clock tower. And the RPD main hall and that was it. They just didn't really bother, did yeah. they? I Which tended is... to be annoyed about the technology in Orc. You know, it was nineteen ninety eight and you know, we had, you know, wonderful flat screen television. They didn't give a fuck though, because they even got like um, brand new cars of yeah. the time. Of the era in the streets and things like that. that Predator cool, right? camouflage effect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you take it with a pinch of salt because obviously, you know, there's cloning and viral technology to accept, but, you know, things like television should follow the same general. It's a period piece, exactly. It's set in the late 90s, make sure the technology looks like it's from the late 90s. Yeah. They had cassette tapes, didn't they? Didn't Was it a collectible? Was it VHS tapes or cassette tapes you could collect with little umbrella logos on them? I don't know, I can't remember. I was going to say, I love the irony of the fact that we had this um, you know, Resident Evil 7, much more modern set, yet it was a throwback to cassette tapes and VHS tapes as well. Like, mm. <laughs> at the other extreme end, we've got a game that's more modern set that was much more keen to go back into old tech <laughs> by comparison, which actually still worked perfectly fine. Right, that does conclude our discussion on Raccoon City. Hope you enjoyed it. It was very, uh, very quite lengthy and uh, lots of useful points. And a big thanks to George Trevor and Crimson Head Elder for allowing us to use the uh, voice clippings and recordings of Brian Irons. So thank you very much. So we do have a call in for our podcast. This comes in from Survivor Punk, who is from the United States of America. He's been listening to the podcast since 2012, so good lad. So uh, let's see what he has to say. Hey guys, uh, Survivor Punk here. I've been a long-time listener of your podcast, and this is actually the first time I'm getting around to queuing up a call-in for you. So uh, here's here's my call-in for today. I have two questions for you. The first question is, what do you want to see done with the Resident Evil 2 remake project? 
Uh, were you looking to see any particular design choices or uh, maybe avenues of the story that they didn't explore the first time around? And my second question deals with Resident Evil Vendetta, particularly with the scene where Leon is getting chased on the highway by the two zombie dogs. Do you think that it was a conscious decision on Capcom's part when he just causes all that collateral damage and you kind of have to wonder like what was going on in their heads with that choice i mean this is our main hero of the series now for a long time and it just seeming like he's doing these actions that aren't really in line with his character how did that decision make you all feel all right well thanks uh thanks for entertaining my questions hope to call in again soon cheers Thank you for the call in. We'll start with the Vendetta question, because I could probably talk a lot more about our views on Remake. But in direct answer, I felt the, the motorbike sequence was cringe. Cringe-worthy to the maximum. Moving <laughs> 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 to the maximum. Yeah. <laughs> this is 1996. <laughs> I said rather scathingly that when your heroes start getting civilians killed, whether intentionally or not, they're not heroes anymore. Whether it was an intentional choice from Capcom... I think it was a bad call to make. You know, if they wanted to show Leon as a jaded, lost soul, there's better ways to do it than having him blatantly just... You know, these are commuters. It could have been a family of four in there, and we're just supposed to accept as an audience that he's completely okay with that. I mean, he doesn't even show any remorse at all. It's just like, yep, fuck it, let's go, next thing. And it did leave a really bad taste in my mouth for me. It's yeah. not the Leon that we know. I think it just shows a massive disparity between what Capcom think Leon and Resident Evil is compared to what the general audience do. Because I can't imagine any Resident Evil fan worth his soul would look at that scene and think, yeah, that's what Resident Evil is. That's why we're all such a huge fan of this franchise. It's by far and away one of the worst scenes in the entire film for me. I would say the series is yeah. really out of place. In a series that usually like quite celebrates its heroes, you know, I mean, I know they'd like to deconstruct Chris a little bit in Six, but even in that, you know, Chris is close to going completely off the rails. I mean, he nearly opens up someone's head with a bottle at the beginning of the game. But yeah, the Leon scene is really, I think it's a, I think it was a poor design choice. And, I, and in answer to the question, I honestly don't know what was going through no. the director or writer's head when they were writing that scene, because I think the intention's all wrong. Well, I'm assuming it's just the check from Ducati. That's exactly what I was about to say. I, I was like, there'd be two reasons for it. One, it's to keep the action beats going along. And second, it's to get a scene that puts that sponsor's product in there which was the Ducati, exactly. That was my mentality. My issue with it, not even including the car explosion, is why did somebody think, okay, yeah, zombie dogs, they can run that fast. You know, like, that's a great action sequence, having them hopping all over cars and... No. Like, that alone should tell you there's something wrong with that scene, and then let alone what actually happens in it. Well, especially, you know, essentially they're the same Cerberus, aren't they, from the first game? Yeah. And you you can see them outrunning them, you know, just about to get into the mansion. A person on foot, I can understand, but a motorcycle speeding down a motorway at what we're assuming is probably, I don't know, 80, 100 miles an hour. And it's weird, because, like, the Cerberus' only appearance in the movie as well, and you would just think that in the hands of a, a, a better director or editor like that kind of sequence would have usually been a film left in the deleted scenes you know because it's tonally out of place with the rest of the film you know it has a a monster in it that's not included in the rest of the film either you know you could lose that entire scene and the film 
would actually benefit from it being removed. And you just get the feeling that a more talented director would have seen that. Again, I think it just comes down to pleasing that, you know, we got the Ducati bike and then we need to put a scene in that justifies it. That's all I can say about it. It's not just that. I also find the whole thing, the way he drives his skills of being able to hold it one hand with a gun, lean over, you know, pull off these amazing feats of, you know, gravity-defying achievements just to get a couple of shots away... You know, it's up there with the crisp smashing boulders with his hands type situation. And it's just, it just doesn't fit easy. You watch it and go, oh, no, 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 no. And it's weird, isn't it? Because, you know, you're playing essentially a sci-fi game about zombies in the undead. And yet it's things like that that you go, no, that's just beyond the realms of possibility. Yeah. <sighs> so the uh, second point about Remake 2, obviously we've touched upon this quite a few times, I think, in the podcast when we've had tidbits of news and things come out. From a personal point of view, in terms of content, what I'd like to see in Remake is multiple homages and references to the Outbreak games. I think it's a really, really good opportunity to be able to link it in together. I think they should either link it incredibly well or just do a complete remake without even mentioning it at all because obviously Outbreak plays into Resident Evil 2. If there's a kind of halfway house where they go, oh yeah, there's Kevin or something like that, I think that wouldn't be good enough. I think it's got to go all the way and kind of reference everything where it overlaps or it doesn't do it at all. And I also like to see changes to the RPD to accommodate the Nemesis broken window. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. I famously get ranty about this, so I'm going to keep it to a minimum. I just would like to see it respectfully made in the style of what Remake was to the original, but obviously adhering to some of the timeline changes that have happened since. And I was going to say, like, the Nemesis window. For me, I hope they scrap it. <laughs> if it plays yeah, like, you're going to say that. But if it plays like the five minutes of Resident Evil Zero where you're going through the marshal in the yard, if the whole game is like that, then... I'll probably give it a go, but I don't think it'll play like that at all. I just hope they keep the general aesthetic. I really hope they keep the police station the same. I hope they don't redesign it, and I hope they use the original soundtrack as well. Yes, I, mean, yeah. I wouldn't have anywhere near the concern I do if this was 15 years ago. I'll still be saying it was pointless then, but we've seen and we've said this timeless amount of times, but we've seen what Capcom have done in trying to retell that story, and it wasn't good. And anyone who hasn't played or revisited Darkseid Chronicles in a while, just give the Resident Evil 2 sections a look at, and they're really not great. They're not well done at all. You know, the hunk sequence loses all its power. It's not dramatic in any way. The voice acting is not great, although that's obviously could be improved with a new recording or whatever. And it was the game which famously features Ada's rocket-powered lipstick. And that will never be forgiven. <laughs> well, that's the thing, that there is this opportunity, isn't there, to actually do quite a lot more. You know, I can see them bringing Wesker into it. It's almost a given that he's going to be in it, isn't it? But that, I, don't, I don't want him to be... No, no, but, you know, he, he's been there. He'll be controlling the background. We know that he was observing what was going on, helping Ada. So he's bound to play a role, even if it's just an FMV video with Ada. But again, there's an opportunity there to expand upon Death's Door and make that a bit more exciting. There's been a few comments recently on on certain forums. I'm not going to name any names, but, you know, there's people saying, you know, I don't mind if some of the changes contradict things we see in Outbreak and 3. And it's like, that's not a positive 
opinion. Certainly not three. Certainly not three. You know, you can't break the rest because then where does it end? You know, if if they change things which directly affect Outbreak or three, do we then say, well, you know, now we're going to need a remake of three to fix that? And it's like it just gets stupid. And 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 we're overlooking the very very obvious thing that Resident Evil Two is still a pretty perfect experience when you go back and play it. I know it doesn't control as tightly as more recent games, but from a directorial point of view, it's pretty flawless. You know, it's not bad. It what? doesn't need a remake. That's what upsets you more, because even by 2001, the first game was aching a bit compared to the, the graphical prowess of the PlayStation in its prime. You know, Resident Evil 2 and 3 made the original look dated. But it's true, but the 20th... Who doesn't need it? The 20th anniversary replay that we did made me actually now... And I, and I still hold it a year on uh, I prefer the original to the remake now it's weird yeah. isn't it I think it's got a more unique atmosphere it has I hope the remake throws in some hints to you know established events that happen later in the series just to sort of make it all gel a bit more together so I am hoping we get mentions of Simmons and stuff but having said that I hope those mentions are just restricted to the files so it doesn't yes. you know it doesn't compromise the core story of what RE2 is trying to tell my concern is just simply on the basis that um, the game cannot be what it was in 1998 it can be what even what the game might have been in 2002 just simply because technology has moved on and gameplay has moved on and the series has become so fragmented that I'm yeah I'm worried about the core experience being changed I would like to try and keep that core experience and the style and stuff but I suspect it's and I keep saying this like trying to frame what sort of game it's going to be must have been one of the hardest decisions probably making this remake um, for them like just working out like do we keep it with pre-rendered angles do we move it to full environments but with moving cameras do we go over the shoulder while you guys are here then what do you think it's going to be honestly do you think it will be pre-rendered camera angles and a la the remake using the same engine that they managed to upscale really well in HD and Zero or will it be an over-the-shoulder experience or will it be a blend of both I think it'll be a blend of both. I did think it would be over the shoulder, but now I'm tempted to say it'll be first person because I think they'll want to cash in on some sort of VR experience for Raccoon yep. City. And I think at the same time, they'll try and appease older players by having some sort of traditional third person fixed camera view, sort of similar to what Lost in Nightmares did. Or do you uh, think they would have a position where, you know, you go into the sewers and then there's like a, this bit can be played in VR. They have certain bits that are VR, but not everything. Maybe a mode, VR mode. Maybe like you could play the fourth survivor in VR. Yeah. I'm expecting third person fixed angles, but dynamic fixed angles, more like Code Veronica. Yeah. So a little yeah. bit of camera movement because the environments don't have to be pre-rendered per se. Yeah. yeah. That's my expectations. But then again, I could be completely wrong. What I would have liked to have seen is not do Resident Evil 2, but they could have done like a really, really small, almost like an independent game that just does little bits, almost like a Resident Evil 2 greatest hits, and they can test the water, whereby it is done in the same sort of, in exactly the same way Remake's been done. I mean, I, I can't imagine Remake would cost that much more money to make nowadays. You could have like a small part of Resident Evil 2, just maybe like the ground floor of the RPD or something. Not supposed to be... Well, they you could, could do play it. it. You could do a little side story canon thing, say with Marvin or... Yes, yeah, know, why not? And test the orders that way if they were really concerned. I suspect that the decision has to be made and they'll plough on. I mean, I mean, there's all these people clamouring going, why is there not news? Why are we not hearing anything? And it's just like, well, to be realistic about it, like it's probably not been the easiest decision-making process it's, it's a slow process. They may have announced it way too early, just getting people's hopes up. 
you know, who knows what sort of development issues there may have been if directors have changed hands, like if it was anything like Force Progression, like went through several versions, multiple directors trying to get that balance right, you know, like I don't think Capcom's going to scrap it. I think it's too important to them as much as um, Bats would love to hear that it's been canned. Um, but, you know, like it's too important to them to have announced and not do it, I think. But yeah, I can't imagine it's been a smooth development so far and we haven't seen anything of it yet. I think for me, I'd sooner see the resources used on something like, you know, maybe remaking Survivor as a more classic title or, you know, bringing Outbreak for a more, you know, modern platform that can support online. And I think there's greater avenues to explore in the series other than remaking an already pretty perfect game. Yeah, I think if it said we're going to be remaking Survivor in full VR, I think everyone would be quite excited. That seems like a sensible, yeah, something that could be updated, keeps that first-person view that it had, and yeah, it would totally make sense. You could really, really easily do Survivor in the 7 engine, I bet. Yeah, and you could actually make it quite a scary experience as opposed to what it was. (laughs) My only hope for 2 in regards to especially camera angles and so forth is that Capcom looked at the idea of nostalgia but as a positive like how we have so many side-scrolling retro style games that are based on kind of 8 and 16-bit titles and look at the fact that they want to remake a game that was of its time and they want to keep it of its time not try and modernise it just because they want to appeal to a new audience they release this with the idea that it's supposed to appeal to people who played 2 and if they wanted the best thing they can try and do is similar to what they did with Remake and Zero in HD is just slightly modernise the controls a little bit just to give those potential options but also keep the old style in there for people who want to play it the old school tank controls and bank on that nostalgia rather than trying to buck the trend and try and push it onto just the newer fans who've only come on since 4. Yeah. Only because if, if, of what it is. Not because I want to say, hey, the old games are better or because the new fans don't deserve it, but more because that's what the game was. So if you want to be true to what it is and you want to remake it, then remake it properly. Remake it like in the style of the original. Don't don't mm. do otherwise. Do you think because, um, the whole thing was a knee-jerk reaction to just how well Remake HD did? Do you think it was just something they were jumping on thinking, fucking hell, you know, people actually bought this? And how poorly RE6 went down there. Combination, perhaps, of those things. The fact that the 20 anniversary for the franchise was upcoming I mean Resident Evil 2 will be 20 next January so we're only a few months away from that and I've said this to people as well I said if they've got something to show January's my bet why wouldn't you put something out on the anniversary of the game in late January it would be the most sensible time to do it no Tokyo game show let's focus on Resident Evil 7 it comes out in December so that's perfect as well it's all finished by the end of the year what's our next reveal we're going to reveal it in January when the game turns 20 years old it makes to me the most sense I might be completely wrong and nothing happens again and people get hopes up and um yeah but that's not uncommon for them because i think they revealed six in the january didn't they for a yeah october november again, at least the same year they did yeah, it, it, yeah. as i said like yeah anniversary after resident evil 7 is complete as far as they're concerned all the dlc's out games out in gold edition and there's no other announced projects yet so it would be really good timing but you know who knows it just depends on where the project is how they're feeling about it if they're ready to show anything i mean who knows if they came out and said resident evil 2 remake's basically going to be an updated version of lost in nightmares engine if you like with resident evil 2 remake we're not forgetting you action fans or whatnot 
not we're putting full VR for the fourth Survivor, an updated version of Death's Door. Why not? You know, I think you're going to have to appease to some. The magic for me of Resident Evil 2 is not in its gameplay. It's in its quite masterful storytelling and, you know, it's the character moments. And, you know, no amount of improved gameplay or graphical revisions will get moments like Leon meeting Claire in the stars office or the power of Punk's team being decimated to that soundtrack. You know, you can't capture those moments again. And another thing, if it was just going to be a straight up remake like the first game was, it was going to be fixed cameras with just updated graphics, etc. I think we would have seen something of it by now. I think they're definitely modernising it in some capacity, and that's one of the reasons they haven't revealed it yet. Mm. My yes. hope is yeah. that it would be akin to what I feel like this Resident Evil 7 DLC when I was saying, like, and, and also I guess when you were saying, looking back at Resident Evil 5 as well, one of the DLC was action-based, one was kind of a little bit more myth-based um, and had the old-school references. If the main game was like that and there was extra stuff that was like everything else, I would be completely fine with that. But yeah. you're right. When it comes to the scenes and the style of the game, the character and story-driven moments, I mean, what will happen if they end up, like, one of the big things about 2's original gameplay was the zapping system and the multi-story modes. We had Leon A and Claire B and Claire A and Leon B. Like, what happens if they simplify that to just one scenario of Leon and Claire? Like, well, how will that resolve? Like, like it's dumbed down because we've just made a really simplistic A to B story that just plays from two perspectives. Like, um, Honestly, I don't think they'll do that. I don't think they'll do the, the multiple A, B variants. I think it'll just be the one story now. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. I'm thinking that it was of its time and people will just find it confusing. And I mean, let's be honest, the only reason the sort of A, B thing worked out as it did was because of storage media at the time. The game had to ship on two CDs. Yeah. And, and so also, it, though... it gave them a really cool idea. Like, what if someone puts this disc in first? What if someone wants this disc? Mm. You know. But my concern is if they're going to canonise, if you like, they're going to get rid of A and B because it's always been a bit of both. And obviously the remake would retcon the original. They're going to have to know what is their desired path because there's lots of different sources as to which is the correct path. You know, Wesker's Report 1 has it as Leon B, doesn't it? From that video, then I think Darkseid would have it as something else out you know there's lots of different things where it kind of well some some of the things still exist like obviously the stuff with sherry has to be clear a because of what's happened in later games with sherry um but then some of the stuff i can't remember which one it is of leon's campaigns with in regards to what ada is is it is it leon b or leon a this is is, yeah i mean even i'm trying to remember like exactly most people think it's claire a leon b but it's actually yeah. it's a mixture of all mixture four. Of and both. Yeah, of I all think four you're right. Because... I think they'll dumb it down into just one scenario each. Yeah. You see, one of the frustrating things I've been reading from people is that they're basically saying, you know, if, if the game creates too many problems, we'll just ignore it in favour of the original. And it's like, you can't do that because yeah. you're the same people saying you now favour the remake of the original game over the original game. You Ooh, can't pick and choose wait. the canon. You have to have a rule. It's, yeah. Mm. When it comes to the canon of the original game, picking the remake makes sense only because it adds more story elements. And the few little weird things that never got picked up again have vanished. Um, like white umbrella and all that sort of stuff so it kind of I can see the justification of it but the thing about the remake and also the original have that say Resident Evil 2 doesn't is that because there's so many different story paths and canon the idea of canon that exists in that thing is what you pick and choose out of the game because there's no obviously one ending where both Rebecca and Barry survive but the canon has it that way so we just assume we're playing a version of events but the game supports that you can play it in so many different ways with different endings and so we just assume that we just take what we're being told but Resident Evil 2 tells a story that goes from 
point A to point B to point C and onwards and just has the two types of scenarios. And that's why that makes it much harder. And so again, I would say that if the only way that you could excuse that is if this version of Resident Evil 2 plays more like Resident Evil 1 or Remake, where it gives you multiple parts with multiple endings and we just take what we need to canon-wise in order to fit, or what is told to us exists outside of it, much like Resident Evil 1 does. Well, of course, with Resident Evil 1, you've got the whole Jill or Chris has been captured in a prison, which we know never happens either. So Yeah, but it makes things somewhat more complicated too, because you have to just take on face value, oh, well, we know this happened and this didn't happen, and obviously there's a path that doesn't exist in the game that obviously both Barry and Rebecca survive in, and, you know, I think doing that with 2 is really problematic, because there's so many important moments that are char- almost character building I want to say like for both Leon and Claire I don't, I don't know if you guys agree with that but I, I feel like what makes them who they are in later games is so built around their survival of the Raccoon City incident that taking those moments away or, or making a really linear path that makes me have to decide the scenario is much more problematic than just saying hey it's a combination of all four scenarios and the overall view of the incident gives me the idea of who they are as characters and what they went through Cool. Well, there you go. That's an interesting call in. It's generated a lot of discussion. <laughs> Thank you very much. Rant uh, over. Rant over. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Survivor Punk. So, anyone has any other more call ins uh, for other podcasts, by all means, send it through. Right. So, without further ado, we'll now start this podcast edition of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. New season. Welcome. You'll be pleased to know we will have a Raccoon City themed quiz this uh, this podcast. I hope everyone's been paying attention. I was going to say I figured this was coming because you said I was doing research for the quiz and yeah. <laughs> so we have five questions. Everyone can clear their desktop. Is everyone ready? Let's go. Question number one. It's a timeline question. In what year was Michael Warren elected mayor? Question number two. In the months leading up to Raccoon City's destruction, who announced their candidacy for the municipal elections? <laughs> Question number three. We all know that the Raccoon Sharks were playing football when the stadium was attacked by zombies. What team were they playing? Okay. Question number four. Raccoon City's closest settlements are Stoneville and what three other locations? <laughs> And finally, question number five. There are two prominent statues outside of Raccoon City Zoo. 
what are they of? Yes, that concludes our questions. Join us after this when we'll run through the answers. This is Bruce. Bruce has just saved time and money by combining the T-Virus with the G-Virus antibodies at Project Umbrella. And now he feels epic. Sorry, but my dance card is full. Bruce, you're so Project Umbrella. All because you wanted to save money on your electricity bill. Okay, so welcome back to the quiz. Let's see how everyone has done. So question number one was, in what year was Michael Warren elected mayor? Um, do I fear stab in the dark guesses? We'll start with Rombie. I either had two years. It's either 87 or 88, so I'm going to go with... What are you going to go for? Uh, um, 87. I have no idea. George Trevor? If I don't get this right, I'm getting zero this week. Um, 80, yeah, because I was thinking 88. Yeah, that's a kind of a guess. That's so basically the only thing I've written down here. I've got my notepad open and it says 1998 and that's the only thing on it. Okay. Start, no, start. Not, I had 91 in my head, but you guys saying 88 means I'm probably wrong. Okay. Uh, Batman? 1987. Oh, shit. Is correct. Oh. Points for Batman and Rombie. Who said 90- yes, sided on the caution and went 87. So I, well I, done. I pretty much flipped a coin on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Unlucky everyone else. So question number two. In the months leading up to Raccoon City's destruction, who announced their candidacy for the municipal elections? Stars Tarot? Chris Redfield. <laughs> I have no idea at all. George? I've got no idea. Ron Davis. Rombie? No idea either. I don't even know what this is from. You'll probably tell me. In a... Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Batman? I think it's from Outbreak, and I can't remember his name. He has a book called The Other Side of the Coin. I can't remember his name. Joel. Joel something. Joel Clemens. That sounds familiar, that surname. I'm sure we've had this question before. Clements. No, we haven't. No. No, no. Uh, I'll give you half. The answer is Joel Clarence. Oh, bollocks. Well done, Batman, though. They're very good for even knowing... Where's, where's it from? It's from an outbreak oh, file, I think. Oh. I can't remember which one. Question number three. We'll know Raccoon Sharks were playing football, but who were they playing against? Bit of an outbreak question, so I'll start with George. We've not had this before, this question either, because I remember having to guess at a football team. No, no, the last time we had, um, it was uh, on a T-shirt. Oh, uh, yeah, so the Raccoon Sharks and Raccoon all, Football were all playing. Stars, right. All stars, yeah. <laughs> this I'm is the... Who, who were they playing? Uh, <laughs> the um the Stoneville Charlatans. No, I've no okay. idea. <laughs> Rombie? Uh, I can't remember the whole name, uh, but I know it's Thunders. That's all I can remember. Okay. Uh, Batman. Old Court Thunders. Ah, bloody hell. Star I've Star. no idea, but they're, they're evidently right. So It's correct, it is the old court thunders. I'm going to give Batman a point. I'm going to give Rombie half a point. That was very good for knowing that it's the thunders. Very good. Question number four. Raccoon City's closest settlements are Stoneville, but what three other locations? We've had one earlier, so there should be some points up for grabs. Uh, Star Star? No idea. We've had, we've had one. I can't one, remember it. Discussion. None? No. <laughs> no? Blank. George? I could only think of three, and I could remember Stoneville, Raccoon City, and I can't think of another. There's another one. I'm th- Which we've had <sighs> a discussion today. I can't remember. Rumby? No, I have no idea. I can't even remember. That's probably one of the things I'm least likely to know. Batman? Well, one of them must be Old Court, because there's a subway train going to Old Court. Um, and if they're a rival football team, 
then there's Stoneville and have oh, said Stoneville Arkley City is that that's from that outbreak map I was talking about yes and I think Kent City is mentioned in the drama albums well, I'm gonna get, yeah so the answers yeah um, were Arkley City Kent City Bollocks. And a possum city. Oh, no, I didn't know that one. Then. I get bats half there for getting two out of the three. So very good. There you go. That was a tough question. Uh, question number five. This is probably guessable. There are two prominent statues outside Raccoon City Zoo. What are they of? Batman. Is it two lions? I don't know. Is that your answer? Yeah. Stars. Yeah, no idea. You're not gonna guess. Nah, uh, I don't know. I'd be wrong. What, yeah, but what were you thinking? What were you I thinking? I, that I is asked? blank. I have no idea. Well, I was what? thinking of prominent like politicians or people in Raccoon City, so I just thought of Michael Warren and Chief Irons. Right. <laughs> I'm with Bats, and it's just two lines. I, I remember this. It's definitely two lines. It is definitely two lines. So points for Batman and Rob. Uh, let's have a look at the final scores. It makes grim reading. <laughs> um, <laughs> with regard, particularly to someone, yeah. <laughs> So the winner, unsurprisingly, is Batman with a very impressive four. That's very good. And it's very good. Um, Rob came in a respectful second with two and a half. I'm happy with that. And Stars did not score. Neil Poir. <laughs> I, I think that's the, the, I think that's the only contest. time I've got Neil points. Pretty bad when it's on but a podcast were... on Racking City. <laughs> they were tough yeah. questions. They were tough questions. So thank you very much for playing. Join us next time and we'll have some more questions. <laughs> There we go. That pretty much wraps up our podcast uh, this evening. Um, good quiz, good fun quiz. Next time, I think we're going to be looking at one interesting point I wanted to probably bring up at some podcasts is to talk about BOWs generally and over the entire history of the series, which has been the most effective BOW. That's a good topic. Let's open it up to our listeners as well. If anyone wants to comment on YouTube, which we'll put up for favourite BOWs, uh, least favourite BOWs, um, we'll log them and then we can form that as part of the discussion. So I think as part of any BOW podcast, I'd want to look at the history of the Tyrant programme, history of the Hunter programme, because they, they, those two have been the most consistent BOWs, and, and that maybe even the Liquors as well, because they've been in quite a few medium as well. Yeah, I think that's quite a, quite a fab idea, so um, God knows when we'll do that. And then, of course, we'll be leading up, probably by the time that comes up, we'll be leading up very much to um, Not a Hero and um, Biohazard 7 re-release so on that note um, I bid thee farewell it's goodbye for me Neptune goodbye from me Batman goodbye from me George Trevor goodbye from me Stars Tyrant and goodbye from me Rumby and now we have a rather unfortunate turn of events it seems that the President and the Federal Council have passed judgment over the civilians of Raccoon City President and Federal Council have ruled that the battle of Terminate operation is the best course of action for this extreme situation and have since executed. Based on that fact, Raccoon City has been literally wiped off the map. Current reports have the death toll surpassing the 100,000 mark. Our hearts go out to those poor civilians of Raccoon City.